Hey, Dan, how are you going, man? Good, man. Good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, first things first, welcome to the Aussie Screen Printing Club. Thanks so much for coming on. I know it's been, you guys have been frenetic and so have we. But more no, than that, yeah, more than that, congratulations on your 10th anniversary. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, that was a, that was a big thing yesterday. So, Do anything special? Oh, yeah, we had a little bit of a gathering of all friends and family and gave away some of our 10-year anniversary T-shirts. We do a T-shirt every year with a new artist. Nice. So, yeah, it was a bit of fun. Yeah, cool. Mm. And how does it actually feel to be 10 years into this? I don't know where the time went. It doesn't feel like it's been 10 years, but, yeah, clearly it has been. So, yeah, it's good. Hmm. What got you into screen printing? Like, where did you start? Were you in your garage? Was it something you'd learned as a trade? How did it all happen? Yeah, that's a really um, bit of a sideways story. Not probably the normal way people get into it, but um, I'm a mechanic by trade, and but I'd actually worked in retail at JB Hi-Fi for a long time. Yep. And at that time, I um, <clears throat> decided to make an iPhone game, teach myself graphic design and, and vector to do 2d game sprites taught myself to code built an iphone game over two years released it and during the process of releasing this game i um that i worked on outside of work hours i went to go get some t-shirts made to give away for the release okay. i had a terrible experience oh right okay <laughs> yeah i gave this printer that i just googled locally at the time back in 2000 and would have been 2008 or nine and um yeah they just they completely dropped the ball it was out of rego it didn't look right and the thing back to it now is like wow how are they even in business like it was terrible so wow. um i didn't get a proof i just i literally gave them a usb with the artwork and they said yeah come back in two weeks and it was just yeah it was all wrong so oh, wow. then i went on the hunt for a better shop and found one and um was really impressed with this showroom and a polar opposite you know like got fully walked through the process and explained mm. i get a print proof and you know how it would all work and a few weeks later i had gorgeous t-shirts and when i picked up my t-shirts i said what's involved with actually um working here like learning more about the industry i'm really interested and so it was a really fun way to apply my sales and customer service as mm. well as this graphic design artwork um digitally that i've been teaching myself for a few years so yeah so that's, that's, that's incredible so fortunately because you had a really bad start with another screen printer you chose a better one mm. and they let you in so that, that you actually got a job there did you yeah i did i became the, the their um sales guy and um the owner stopped doing sales so much he just really focused on running his business and um okay. They had two separation artists that both work part-time, um, you know, two days and three days a week. And then they had two screen printers, they had three screen printers out the back and two or three shop assistants that made screens, you know, mixed things, pack boxes, were catching, stuff like that. And yeah, I learned a lot at that shop um, back in Brisbane. And um, yeah, it was it was a interesting experience to have a complete career change where I wasn't working weekends, I wasn't in retail anymore. It was yeah. um, as a manager. Um, it was really fun. Mm. And so, what made you take the jump, or how long after that did you make the jump? Well, obviously, you made the jump 10 mm. years ago, but what yeah. was it that made you do that? You decided you want to go on your own. Yeah. So, I guess 
for me, I guess a little bit of backstory on that quickly, though. I won't dive yeah. too deep on it, but like working in sales, I wasn't some gun salesman. I just really believed in honest advice and like, and just really working with someone, you know, like being like, what didn't you like about your last TV and what, what are you using this one for? And maybe we can find you something that works. And I seemed to get this big um, clientele list that followed me when I would change stores, stuff like that. Yeah, wow. A different JB store. And um, I guess with screen printing, I just noticed that there was a slight disconnect um, in that typically with screen printing, they're owned by screen printers and um, they build up their own shop and start adding more and more equipment and staff and build more customers. And some of them are fantastic. Some of them were like my first experience, just completely missing any kind of custom service. But um, mm. the shop I worked for was actually fantastic, but had a few disconnects. Like if you wanted it folded, if you wanted it relabeled, if you wanted to have it bagged ready for sale they didn't offer all those solutions and and i didn't really go looking to see if there was any other shops that did but i just thought at some point i'd really like to start my own shop and um yeah and offer a full service like sit down have a chat about your brand that's either established or you want to start and and show them that we can handle every part of the process so yeah that's what made me want to kind of start my own shop to do a full service hmm. yeah well okay um and when you started did you go in with the full service yourself or were you restricting yourself to embroidery or screen printing or like how did you actually set up go for the whole full booner or yeah so it kind of had a soft start for about two or three years there i was still working at screen print shops so i moved to melbourne and worked in shops here um and uh they were just like i'd print jobs at my own at wherever i worked and I would just do that on the side, which the I'd tell the bosses that this is what I do. And I eventually I'm going to go and they'd be like, yeah, no worries. Typically it was met pretty well. And um, I did, I dived in straight with full service. Like I'd be folding and bagging 400 shirts in my apartment on a little yeah, trestle right. table, much to my wife's dismiss, uh, dis <laughs> distress uh, for, you know, an afternoon getting shirts ready for a client's weekend event and yeah. And then eventually we moved into actually printing in-house and um, and being able to quality control and run our own print schedule and um, offer the quality of prints and high-color, high half-tone photo artwork, stuff like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And you, you, so you, you printed on a manual in your home? Is that what you're saying? No, we printed it at the shops that I worked at. Used the shop. Uh, yeah. yeah. But then we it's actually moved to a factory space. Yeah. So... It's yeah. often hear that story about people learning in another shop and being allowed to use the equipment at the end of the day or the evening or the weekend. Yeah. I don't think there's any other industry that would really allow no. you to do that, right? No. It's, it's no. Extraordinary. Yeah, no, it was an interesting um, interesting way to start. And I, I, I really appreciated like the support we got from some of the places I worked and being able to build up my own business on the side without encroaching on theirs because our... Our main focus was apparel brands. So yeah. all that is a big chunk of um, screen printing. Like a lot of people do event screen printing or they specialize in schools or stuff like that, music bands. We were really focused on either established apparel brands or ones that wanted to start one. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Hmm. And what equipment did you start with and how oh. much has that changed over the years? <laughs> we started with a cheapy Chinese 
uh, $700 press from eBay. Um, yep. That was horrendous. Didn't hold rego. Had no off-contact adjustment. <laughs> barely go into the gate for a print flash print white, you know, a double hit white to get it aligned again the second time. Uh, massive flex palette deflection in the actual arms. It was terrible. Um, but it really taught you like a lot of little tricks to kind of really refine your strokes and pressure and angle and and even just holding the palette with your knee to mm. keep it stop the arm from flexing we were using all the tricks <laughs> wow. so that was pretty crappy and we had a tiny little uh oven a little like a, a portable oven you could just plug into it was um the single phase but it was 15 amp so yeah and that did the job at the start but quickly outgrew all that equipment and now we all run mnr so we've got yeah, two right. mnr presses we've got an old jones brothers press uh we've got two mnr um electric dryers and yeah and the whole setup <laughs> yeah okay and was there anything between those like did you get an old second hand press or like no nah. between like a chinese press and an mnr it's oh you know... worlds apart worlds yeah. apart. yeah yeah first we got a cruiser and then we stepped up to the one after that which at the moment is is eluding my brain because um it's a big day yesterday but um yeah so so yeah no the mnr presses are a joy to print on which is really um really helps with just even just registering a six color print having micro reg you know yeah. it's like it's yeah. golden mm. yeah and mm. was that um your the print shop you worked for were they using mnr equipment or no a lot of them had taz autos that was very popular yeah. most shops i worked at had taz autos and maybe just one manual for fiddly stuff or inside neck prints or yeah. sleeve prints or a small run of 20 or something yeah. But, um, yeah, we've never made the leap to an order yet. It's probably something we'll do next year, I think. Yep. Yeah. And so why did you choose M&R? You just good reputation or what was it that made you want to go for that brand? Yeah, I just um, did a bit of research and like there was a few brands I was interested in. Anatole was one of them, which there wasn't a supplier in Australia at the time. And I reached yep. out to a supplier that was in Greece or something that was able to import it to Australia for us. Wow. Okay. And um, got talking about some of their presses because I've watched some stuff on the Print Life about how impressed he was, Cam, from the Print Life on YouTube. Yep. I don't know. You know that channel? Cam Irvin, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and how how much he loved the Anatole and like just out of the box, how it was like all the pallets were pre-leveled and I was very impressed with that kind of stuff, but there was no distributor here, which there is now, but there wasn't mm. that. And, uh, and then I got a bit more research and it just seemed like M&R had the whole package. If you were going to do manual and auto, which we wanted to transition to an auto at some point for the yeah. large jobs that we get. And uh, I liked the idea that you could use the same pallets and stuff like that. And it was all kind of a similar system. So yeah. that's why I chose M and R. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, there's a distributor in Australia. <laughs> yeah, Rawtech. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That and so, just to get get this my head around this, you've got two M and R manual presses and a. Did you say Jones Brothers press? Yeah, uh, we call it our click clack press. I think it's a Jones Brothers. It's a bit of an unknown, <laughs> um, but like basically, instead of a spring system, when you pull the the screen down it's got rear clamps and it's got this little click clack spring so you lift it up and it clicks and then it holds the screen up you just lift oh. the screen a couple of centimeters and then you can pull it back down oh, yeah okay yeah, so yeah it's really nice for um long print runs like thousand shirt runs because it's not like this it's not going to fling your squeegee across the uh <laughs> across the shop floor when you accidentally are a bit tired and lift the screen up and the spring snaps it back up and stuff like that so yeah 
you can control it a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, wow, I've not actually seen one of those, but that sounds quite smart. Yeah, that's a bit different. Yeah. Does that have micro edge on it as well? Or just no, no, just the MNRS2. That one's well, it's not true. Like, I mean, with rear clamp, you've got a lot of movement, which is really important about where you put the image on the screen as far as vertically, but left to right, um, and you know, angling your rego marks in, it's not too hard to actually get that dialed. Side clamps, you know, are the dream, but yeah, the rear clamp machine is a nice one for just little fiddly jobs. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, now tell us about Born and Thread, the, the name. Where did you, how did you come up with that name? <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to start this company for a really long time. It had been in the back of my mind, burning away. Um, and obviously being ambitious and wanting to run my own business and had already done a couple of little side hustles, like building that iPhone game, which was just something that interested me. I didn't think that was ever going to be a career change. It was, it was an exercise and, and an interesting project for a couple of years, but, um, one day I was just sitting there and I, I was watching something on telly literally 10 years ago today. And, um, and it was something about being born and bred. It was on the telly on free to air channel 10. I can't remember what I was watching. And I was like, born and thread. I love a good pun. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that's what we live is like our catchphrases. We live and breathe t-shirts, you know? So right there in that moment, I hopped on the phone and checked that Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, everything was available. There was yeah. no other born and thread anywhere in the world that I could see in Google. So I snapped up all the names, registered the URL, and that was done. Wow. Like about that. three years after I started it, a guy in the States um, has opened a born and thread in the US. Same oh, okay. everything. Yeah, so that was interesting. And every now and again, I get an email from someone in Texas or somewhere <laughs> there being like, hey, where's my order? I'm like, you've got the wrong company. Sorry. <laughs> But yeah, so it seemed like a unique name and 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 it was kind of just a play on words. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's really smart. It works. Mm, it's thanks. Quite different. Yeah, <laughs> not just kind of like, you know, Joe Blog's print print shop. Yeah, no, yeah. I didn't know how big it would get. I didn't know if I'd even get it off the ground. I just had an idea and 10 years later, here we are, six of us, six of us in two factories opposite each other in a complex. It's kind of, it's a nice feeling, you know, to have that progression. Mm. yeah yeah it's a scalable business isn't it i mean in one sense i suppose all business should be scalable but there's something about mass production mm. i think i'm obsessed with processes as you're probably aware but yeah. in terms of how processes grow mm. you know you can balance that and manage that it's very very scalable um, but always fraught with bottlenecks so how do you go running a business? I mean, that's new to you. Well, 10 years ago, it was new to you. Yeah. Um, how did you, you enjoy that side of it or does it drive you mad? Yeah, I really do. I think managing JB Hi-Fi or working in a big retail chain and working in some print shops after that, um, I've always had a process obsessed as well. So actually similar to yourself, but always felt frustrations of being limited within somebody else's framework and, mm -hmm. um, and, and it wasn't like I thought I could do it better. I just like to explore other ideas, especially being process, you know, obsessed. So mm. detail orientated, I normally call it, but like it was an opportunity to kind of go, okay, um, maybe I could build things in a way that I think makes sense and see if they work. Um, mm. So that's what was challenging at the start was to find what worked. And I was very active on Instagram when we first started and, um, and I committed to it full time. I quit my last screen printing job at the time. Mm 
Um, and my wife was very supportive. We hadn't had kids yet. We owned an apartment in Richmond in inner city Melbourne. And she was like, if you're going to do it, do it now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, and uh, she was fully supportive. And I was like, okay. And if it doesn't work, you know, we always go back to printing in another shop. Yeah. So, yeah, we just, yeah, it just, it was very challenging at the start. We set lots of little milestones we wanted to hit. Like, is this feasible to live off? Is it feasible to grow? Is it feasible to get a reputation in such a, in most cities, there's generally a pretty heavy saturation of screen printers. And in mm. Melbourne, no shortage. But yeah, it seems like we've carved out an area for ourselves. So um, just going back to that processes thing, it just occurred to me that you're in, more of a unique situation, um, if that makes sense, because you've got a background in some screen printing, well, quite a lot, but also in sales and sales in screen printing. And it seems to me a lot of people that start in screen printing don't have those experiences, but they want to learn how to screen print. Mm. And it comes to the question, how do, I get, how do I get the sales? Whereas yeah. you've got that front end stuff. So you've been able to kind of see and know and understand those processes from the get-go in terms of how you engage or even hook a customer and then yeah. start the customer service. Um, when you started and got going and, you know, perhaps got the next member of staff or whatever, did you have a process in place after sales at that point? Or was it just, here's an order, go do this, you know, writing it on a bit of paper? Or did you kind of pull yeah. those processes together at that point? Oh yeah, I, I ran the business pretty much on my own for the first three, four years. Um, and getting my first employee, I wasn't actually looking for one at the time. I was very busy and at the time, nearly doing half a million turnover a year. And we didn't have kids yet, but we were looking very close to do it at that point. And um, my wife was like, you can't be working these 80 hour weeks anymore. You know, yeah. I think you need to bring somebody on board. And at the time I was just like, you know, it's still early. I want to keep building it. But it made sense. Um, and I had someone contact me for uh, work experience. They were doing a screen printing and textile design degree. And they were printing yardage fabric um, at uni. And that's what they wanted to go on to do afterwards. And I said, yeah, you can come do your week's um, work experience here. And showed her the process. And at the end of it, she asked if she could work one day a week while she was still at uni. I said, yeah, actually, that could really help. Like there'd be something. It's a good way to ease into it, see if I could benefit from an employee. And then um, I had so many, the question you asked, sorry, was that I had so many um, processes in place because I was just detail obsessed. And, you know, we had job sheets. And before we were printing in-house, we obviously had to be really organized to be able to hand a job over to a screen printer. So um it was easy for them and there was a benefit for them to maybe lose the garment profit that you normally get from supplying and printing garments yourself tried yeah. to make it really streamlined that was the way i would pitch at the start um for the first year or two to um externally do screen printing so i would normally do all the steps pantones would be picked ready for you know ink mixing um yeah. if they didn't have that already on on the shelf and uh, the job would be split into white and black prints if it was, you know, a color change in the print run. And uh, I'd normally try not to have too many print position variations or any of that kind of rubbish that's super frustrating and yeah. and can slow a print run down. But um, yeah, and, and because of that, I had these job sheets that linked to the invoice, which was all in an Excel database as far as the job tracker. So the way that we checked what was with what. 
And um, so when I brought on my staff member, I basically spent the whole time showing them how to um, use my system that I'd built. And yeah, it worked flawlessly. The quoting process, the way that she quoted. And before I knew it, one day a week, she was booking jobs. And I was like, wow, you're paying for a week's worth of wages. Awesome. You should come work for me. And she did. And she's been there for years. Yeah. She's still with you. Yeah, she's my right-hand lady. That's right. That's we run fantastic. the shop together. It's great. So she didn't end up doing screen printing on long yards of fabric. She, well, yeah. she has actually. One of our screen printers um, that had also done the same course that was a friend of hers actually got a job at a yardage printer. And um, she'd been working for me for a few years as a screen printer. And she said to me, Dan, I'm going to go and do this a few days a week, but I don't want to leave Born and Thread. I love what we do here. So can I still work a couple of days a week? And I said, yep, that's awesome that you want to do that. <laughs> like, you know, you're going to pay more in taxes getting two wages, you know. Mm. She didn't care. And eventually my my little right-hand lady that helps me run the business, she um she does one day a week over there to kind of get her art projects out of the way and yeah, and do what she actually studied, which is great. So, yeah everybody kind of wins so she's got the passion for screen printing as oh, as, a, as a thing now yeah absolutely yeah oh that's yeah. amazing mm. and are you still using that excel system or have you progressed to a shop management system or yeah you the processes now mix of both um i wanted to transition away from excel and i looked at a whole bunch of different shop management systems systems and the ones I found that were the most effective leaned really heavily on garment management from fulfillment like American style print systems where when they order something from Guild and it comes from eight different warehouses and it kind of yeah. allowed you to track when that stock comes in and how to match the job together and it just didn't really serve us because we have one warehouse for every supplier in Australia other than JB's yeah. warehouse yeah. and it just seemed a bit over the top so haven't found anything I like yet, but I've built a few systems myself. Um, I've got some coding friends from my days back in making video games, so iPhone games. So um, I have had some friends, you know, we put some ideas together on a late night talking and maybe we'll build our own software, but I don't don't know yet. But at the moment, it's really just zero and a whole bunch of automated Excel functions. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Hmm. We use zero as our accounts hmm. and quote system. We yep. do our own mock-ups, like yep. super fast mock-ups. Um, and then we we just built what we found is um you know, when we started just print out the orders mm. from zero. You know, we created our own job template and printed them out and just went, well, let's let's get on with these. Mm -hmm. But then we had too many orders, and you know, I told you that one was urgent, you know. Why are you doing that? What you know, that kind of and we realized that prioritization was a nightmare. So mm. we just built very simple a system in monday.com yeah um, yeah and it works really well it just allows us really quickly to reprioritize at any moment mm -hmm. we come in in the morning say right let's go through the job list for this week or this day mm -hmm. and what's in the pipeline what's being shunted what's happened with the deliveries that kind of thing but yeah. it's it all we've set it up so that it also emails the customer at various points in the process mm. we've got bigger probably like you our turnaround times of started to stretch mm -hmm. and you know it, it's nice having a three to five day turnaround but when it gets to a couple of weeks it's like okay there's a lot of jobs sitting here and this customer is <laughs> now screaming so putting yeah. in that those various stages so 
when the order goes in, they get an email, tells them, hey, you know, you're in the system, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. When they get uh, when we burn the screens at that point, it tells them the stock's in, the screens have been burned, and it just kind of talks them through the whole process so that they don't kind of come back worried about dates and, and schedules and things. Mm-hmm. And we found that very helpful. I can see it's got limitations. Mm-hmm. There'll come a point when maybe something like Pentavo might be right, but I do worry a little bit about um, being confined to another set of processes that have been designed for a different kind of system, like multi-distribution right. warehousing, as you just yeah. That worries yeah. me a little bit. Hey, quick question on that. Um, how quickly can you get AS Color delivered to you? Next day. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you, you have to have the best of everything. Uh, sometimes, sometimes uh, if I order a big enough order, if it's, uh, you know, 500 shirts or something, and I order it before 11 o'clock in the morning, they put it on the same day courier, just because it's cheaper than individual box courier. And yeah, uh, right. a van rock up at two in the afternoon with a pallet wrap of stock, and you're just wow. like, oh, awesome. Okay, let's let's get that prepped. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, very lucky. <laughs> and are you mostly printing on AS Color, or are you, is it across all the brand? I mean, I know you do Gildan and, mm. and uh, Ramo, and I think JB, where you mentioned, mm. um, it, pretty much on all of them equally, or not. Not really. Um, pretty much exclusively AS Color these days. Um, yeah. At the start, we would mix and match a lot of garments to solve problems. But as AS Color's range has expanded, like they've exploded in styles and colors in the last five years, like every time I talk to our rep um, or the point of contact at the warehouse, um, our, our state manager or whatever, um, they just, when they send me a list of what's coming in the next month, I just get overwhelmed of all the new products mm-hmm. I've got to put into mm-hmm. zero because we've got every product in zero already priced up at its price. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got something like uh, four and a half thousand product lines in zero and yeah. um, okay. allows my staff to, if we get a phone call and they send us through the artwork, we can have a quote to them in 30 seconds, like typically yeah, okay. very That's quick. Amazing. Don't have to work out any percentages. It's all pre-made based on the volume and then the print colors. We've got obviously our print pricing in there and screen setups and any extra fees. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's kind of um, it's it's basically we've shifted towards AS Color just because their quality control is really good. I know there's been some rumors lately of quality slipping in some of their core styles, but for us, we haven't found that yet. Um, but yeah, I, I guess if a client specifically is after something outside of the AS Color range, we wouldn't turn it away. But mostly, AS Color. Yeah. Yeah, we found the same. What about for you guys? Yeah, it's the same story. Um, we kind of we, we started with a Bangladeshi company called Kia. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, this is Kia. It, this industry is brand new. We've been over six years, and so I, I knew nothing about this industry and started as a hobby and just kind of fell in love with it. Like I just I love the whole. I don't enjoy printing. I got to say anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to print yesterday because we're flat stick, and I was like, man, this is hard work, but. Mm. I love the process, you know, mm-hmm. um, but we started not knowing one brand from another. And someone said, so we started with Kaya, had terrible uh, issues with the quality of, of the garments at the time. And I don't know what they're like now. And someone said, oh, why don't you try Gildan? And I was like, well, who are they? You know, we just we just knew nothing. But we mm-hmm. got going with them and we do a lot of stuff for churches and kids camps and that kind of stuff. So 
that market generally isn't interested in a nice staple tea, although mm. we've branched out into all these other markets now. So, so that worked well for a while. And then we just started getting customers asking for AS Color. Yeah. And I said, well, we better we better crack onto this because it's obviously what people want. And I'd say 99% now is AS mm -hmm. Color. Same. And yeah. It's a, it's a lovely Same. product. It's nice to print, produces a great print. Um, mm -hmm. The color range is so much nicer than anything else. Yeah. They did, did have some stock issues a couple of years ago, and I thought, oh, this is a bit hard. But now, never an issue. It's very rare. Yeah. You know, whereas some yeah. of the other companies still have big problems with that. Mm. So yeah, we love them. We, you know, we really don't advertise anything else. No, um, same. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. We've got a big AS color wall in our showroom that they um graciously wanted to put up to showcase that we're AS color, you know, through and through. And um and it's just something that I find and yeah customers were asking for but we were introducing very early on just from my experience with apparel brands always chasing the next best garment and yeah it wasn't an unreasonable price especially when they started producing volume and you could buy volume from them and get that discount it's a really yeah. fair price point i think for the product yeah and i've noticed that um probably like you i listen to quite a few podcasts most of which are american and I've noticed mm. everybody's really talking about AS Color now. And a few years yeah. ago, people were like, who? And yeah. Now, you know, they're like, they I think it was Stephen Ferris said recently, he reckons the uh, staple tea is the best T-shirt in the world at the moment. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I got staple tees that are nine, eight years old, 10 years old even, that are still wearable. A little bit yeah. sun-faded from just being hung in the on the on the line outside, but they're not sagging they're not ripping the garment's not falling apart the print's still held up and i'm just like sometimes when i'm in the middle of a client meeting i'll often point oh yeah this is an eight-year-old shirt and they're like what and you're like yeah like i wear this as a work shirt at least once a week like it's it's held up really well and that just blows them up yeah what a great advert um this mm. can i take you back to processes because obviously yeah. you've got the same kind of interest <laughs> as i have on that um if I was to say to you, you've been going 10 years, you've got a whole set of processes running, they'd be modified and so on, and you've upgraded your kit over that time. What what place is still a big bottleneck for you? In the, or what number, you, know, you might have more than one. Where are the bottlenecks for you in that line? Bottlenecks for me, mm, there's a few. I'm still working on them. Um, I think redundancies, making myself redundant. So I'm not a point of contact for every problem. Yep. Um, and that's something I've really focused on this year and the later half of the year, and I'm working really hard on next year. Yeah. So probably the biggest bottleneck is myself and not because I'm a control freak, which I am, but I'm trying to step that away from the business and allow my staff to just own everything, which they do anyway. But when there's a problem, I feel like not that things come to a stop, but no one wants to move forward without knowing whether there's, because we've got so many processes, there's no process for this, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of bit me bit me in the bum with having all these processes. So um, the biggest bottleneck would be when there's a shift outside of the norm. Um, so what I've been doing to combat that is I, um, originally I was writing process manuals, um, screenshotting and manually typing up all this stuff. And it was super labor intensive. 
Sure. And I saw a video in a podcast where they were like, you have to record everything you do while you're doing it. And I was like, what do they mean record? And I started Googling and found this program called Zoom that you could record from your iMac, the screen and your voice. And I just have hundred plus hours of just recordings of me like, okay, when AS Color sends stock and there might be a mispick, this is where you find the invoice digitally in our emails. This is how you reply to support at AS Color. Right. This is how you tell them what's happened and they'll respond and fix the problem for you, you know? And this is what we do with the film printer. This is how you run the RIP software. Like, and even though there's people that know these things, if that person's sick, there's now a database of like little video snippets and five minute tutorials on how to outline customer fonts and stuff like that, where they haven't outlined their fonts in Illustrator and it's not embedded. Uh, so stuff like that, where we can um, just have solutions for stuff that I don't have to explain over and over again when they pop up. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think the bottleneck. That's smart. We're miles away from <laughs> doing that. Um, that point you made about sort of releasing yourself from the business. I feel like I've been doing lots of different businesses for years and I feel like I've never managed to fully pull that off. Um, one, one company I ran, I was close, but, uh, you know, again, I, and I think the downfall, I mean, you kind of alluded to it really is, is partly to do with my personality of wanting to control things and it always makes things worse, you know? Um, yeah, it yeah, it's an aspiration for me to to try and, you know, I'm much older and, and kind of do need to slow down really and um, get other people doing more of what I do. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about, you know, out in the production line, mm -hmm. do you do you have bottlenecks there? Like, do you, for example, do you you all on the press and running the jobs and do, picking the stock and then you have to go and reclaim or do you have people reclaiming all the time or how does that sort of work for you? Yeah, I don't know if I call them bottlenecks, but like I, I know what you're mentioning. Um, refined a few systems. So we have we have basically four systems that are all linked through Dropbox. And we also have um, Slack Messenger on all the work computers. So we're going to go paperless next year. So there'll be iPads right. for staff rather than having job sheets, which would be nice because they can just update a job sheet live. Yeah, well, that's great. you know um that's something i'm working on at the moment but um what we currently have is our quoting on on uh zero and invoicing on zero and then we have obviously mailchimp and newsletters and and all that kind of communication with our client base but then we also have the we have two different um excel systems so we have one that's our job tracker which I basically control and part of what I'm recording a lot of videos on at the moment, which I input every job in there and whether it's getting embroidery, whether it's getting accessories like stickers or silk neck labels or swing tags, whether we're doing any extra stuff like folding and bagging or a split delivery to multiple event venues, something like that. And then um, from there, we make a job sheet from Excel that links from the invoice number so you don't have to manually rewrite all the details. Yep. So there's one point of detail that we write in. Um, the job sheet then has a printout of the, the vector PDF mock-up that we do for the client that's all scaled to size. So there's no misprint where you accidentally grab the artwork out of a approved mock-up and don't scale it correctly. It's already scaled in the mock-up. Yep. Um, and then from there, there's a print schedule Excel database, which is on the printer's computer. 
um, which allows our print team to see, I can reprioritize every morning. We do a, a weekly meeting, a morning meeting to run through anything that might be an issue or something they're concerned about time-wise that hasn't been allocated enough time. So that's kind of a run through when I get in and at the end of the week, you touch base and how did we do this week? Did I overestimate? Did we underestimate? Do you have more time than you thought? And, and we're always refining that. But the bottleneck is probably air yeah, springs. We've got a good stripping and reclaiming system with the easy way dip tank. I don't know if you've heard of that, but if you haven't, get on it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Raw tech again, they sell it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the M&R distributors. But um, the bottleneck for us is probably we need to have another person actually coating and stripping screens. At the moment, we've got a system where when a job's finished, the screens just get the ink taken out of them and they get put into that black press that we don't use very often, the click clack press. And from yeah. there, one of our staff that's a catcher and packer in between catching jobs and laying them up, should clean out those screens, detape them, clean okay. them up ready to either be put away or to be reclaimed. And then in the reclaiming area, um, in our dark room, we have our staff, basically one of our printers, when they are all up to date and they get ahead of the schedule, they go across and strip them and degrease them and get them ready for new emulsion and coat them up and put it in our, in our little dark ring box. So, yeah. So, so that's the bottleneck. Sorry, and that's the bottleneck, the, the reclaiming I, and recoding. I think in our production, yeah, we really need another staff member. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting you say that. Um, there's nine of us in this business, but four are part-time casuals. Mm. And they're always the reclaimers. Wow. Yeah. Um, and part of the problem is, you know, we're not in a big city like Melbourne, so resources are pretty scant. I, I kind of live for the day when, a bit like you, you know, when someone walks through the door and says, hey, screen printing is wonderful. When do I start? Yeah. You know, yeah. straight through the door. And yeah. um, so it's really hard getting people that, you know, that want to work, um, but also know or are interested in anything to do with screen printing. And if wow. they come in, they're going to be reclaiming and you kind of feel bad, like, you know, here's all this great stuff. And by the way, you're just taking out ink and, you know, stripping these screens. Yeah. But, so we, we have a little team that we just cycle around mm. um, and just pretty much every day, there's no one doing it today because of the, the podcast, because we wouldn't be able to hear. Mm. Um, but we can't keep up with it. And it's a major problem to us. Yeah. Um, we only have two people that coat. One is me and one is one of the press operators. And we keep it that way because, you know, you have all sorts of issues if you let anyone coat a screen. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to look at, you know, getting an autocoder or something. I think that hopefully mm -hmm. that'll be next for us um, so that anyone could do that. But mm -hmm. that's our major, major bottleneck. We we sit on around 200 screens Mm -hmm. And at any given moment, 60 can be there. I know there's more than 60 there right now to reclaim. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you only get, if you get someone in and they can't do many hours that day and they can only do 20, you're like, ah, you know, oh, no. we need more screens, you know. Yeah. So that's been a big issue for us as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just going back, you, you did obviously do it differently to us. So the screens come off, the, you tear down the press, the mm -hmm. screens go to the click-clack um, press and yeah. they're, effectively kind of press washed in a way are they well just cleaned up enough to either go into storage or be ready for the dip tank so for the dip tank you don't want them covered in ink you just want them reasonably clean and you don't want any tape on the screen because yeah. that, that's a waste of the dip tanks power trying to break down glue you just rather attack the emulsion and be done with it um yeah 
so yeah and no but i i i'm curious because with our dip tank you can get between 20 to 30 screens cleaned and degreased and dehazed in, in an hour so how many are you getting through well each day how many screens do we do well, we expend a day or if you, if you dedicated someone to stripping screens you had a big pile there how many yeah. would they get through in an hour uh, i i could do 15 screens okay. an hour easily okay. but yeah. Not not everyone can. Mm. Um, so from not from reclaim. So from the we tear down. We do it differently. So we tear down. It goes into the what we call the wet area. Mm -hmm. um, any excess ink is removed. Then tapes removed there, and then we clean the screens in that area. We mm -hmm. remove the ink that way. It's just like you. you we use a dip tank. Mm. Um, we're using for the auto. We'll use um, what are they? Eight hundred mil by. 700 mil screens mm. we can get five of those in it's a, you know when it's replenished 30 seconds in get them yeah. out get the next ones in and, and blow those out mm. and they do them in 20 batches <laughs> and then they'll degrease and then they'll go dry them in our in our um kind of dark room okay um but some people just cannot go quick enough to see that oh, yeah. number decrease enough and it it's frustrating so what it means is i don't you know probably the same for you i don't know but it ends up with me doing them you know mm -hmm. i'm the filling boy for all of these things picking up um, the deficit. yeah yeah and that just shows you there's a bottleneck there's a problem there and yeah you know, so you're sort of trying to work on on resolving that a little bit more mm. um, okay and any other areas that you feel are bottlenecks in the, in that production process that's pretty much just reclaiming screens. We don't have an auto that we punch through really big orders that we chuck in lots of screens. Like we have two six color presses. And I think at some point we move, we're moving to a new factory next year. At the moment, we've got two split factories opposite each other in the same complex that are both about 120 square meters each, um, which I wouldn't have thought we'd outgrown them as quickly as we have, but we absolutely have. Um, so moving to I've got my own a whole bunch of different ones which will initiate in early next year ready for a june move but um yeah about 450 square meters which will allow us to get that auto get that big oven to support that uh, compressor area um and actually add probably an eight color manual just for some of that fine detail stuff but it's not big enough to set up on an auto i mean stuff is worth setting up an auto at a certain number but it's also about the setup time too whether it's economical you know so sometimes it does and doesn't map out but yeah let me speak into that if i may um what would be your minimum uh, order quantity for an eight color print 50 at least yeah still yeah. worth doing on an auto yeah really definitely yeah just because yeah. the rest time once it's running it's done very quickly exactly yeah. mm. um we ran the um we got an eight color manual as well as mm. an auto and um what was it i don't remember why for some reason we ran it on the auto but it was polos mm -hmm. and it was just a three color print left mm -hmm. chest and i was using it to train someone a little bit but they got up to speed pretty, it was a pretty easy print mm. we worked out that the first one off was seven minutes and you know then you got one off a minute or less later and another one yeah. you know and then you re reset as it were mm. It's just, you know, when I was looking at it, I was like, wow, why, why do we do this? This is just dumb, right? I suspect yeah. we were using the auto for something else mm. and just trying to squeeze the job in. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I did a simulated process job 
on an auto on a manual mm. and I, we've got an eight color as i said and i just was so excited you know oh this is the best thing ever and it was yeah. for a band and it was a really beautiful print and um i just could not believe how long it took yes <laughs> simulated process like you know you're really dialing in a whole bunch of variables even just on the fabric style alone you know yeah yeah it can be quite so, even at 50 you'll probably want to do that on the auto <laughs> yeah okay that's it's good yeah. to know i mean like i worked in most of the shops i worked in either had one or two manuals and were mainly auto focused and i can see why the economy of scale is there and i think it'll bring a new level for us but it seems that it's very hard to find screen printers that know how to use a manual press a lot of people in melbourne when we put a job out are interested but they've never had printing experience and it's not that i don't want to train them it's just that i know that the pathway to being a competent manual screen printer you're dedicating three to six months to someone like holding their hand the whole time yeah not really um not that's the wrong word not holding their hand, but kind of helping and monitoring and problem solving during their print run when they're struggling to get, you know, good ink deposit down on the first layer, stuff like that. Yeah. And it just becomes something that we kept chasing experienced printers. And we've kind of done a, a, a full 360 on that or 180 on that, where we now have a really great experienced screen printer has 20 plus years experience and is my, my champion for anything high detail half-tone orientated simulated process cmyk process photo print stuff like that yeah. and then we have a, a second printer with them that is um competent and really good and wants to get to that level is hungry for it and a lot younger and um but yeah i, I think in most of the people that applied had automatic experience because most shops have transitioned to autos is what i was getting at because of yeah. economy of scale it is so effective for output it is it is and um like for us it took us a while to kind of experience that properly partly mm. because um our, our old tunnel dryer was just too narrow and didn't have a long lead in and so on and that you kind of looked at it and went wow we can do 500 an hour oh it's a long <laughs> back print we can do 200 an hour you know and it's still yeah. that's great but um so when we changed that wow it just picked up any slack mm. you know so if we had any kind of particular peaks in production they just got soaked up with it so yeah. nicely so we found that very very helpful but when we first started we were just so slow setting mm. up a job it was yeah. it was so painful mm. um but now we, we you know we throw them in very quickly and get them set up very quickly yeah um, so what kind of ink do you print with are you are you uh dare i say it? are you water base only shop or are you okay good no no I, i've worked in many shops that offered both but typically they're either specialized in water-based or plastisol and maybe dabbled in a bit of discharge here and there for those soft hand fill prints um but no we're plastisol pretty much exclusive um i don't really muck about water-based that's i think it's got a great application on tea towels on kids uniforms things that might be ironed or you want that softer feel but um we don't have that application come up very often that we would be losing money if we didn't do it so we just don't so it's pretty yeah. much exclusively plastical yeah and what would your ink brand of choice be we use Wilflex. yeah um okay. thinking of transitioning to the rio ink mixing system but currently we're on epic pf so i'm always hesitant to change things when we've got it all dialed that's me yeah. just being a control freak but 
It's also about repeatability. Like I think 80% of our clients to 70% of our customers are repeat customers. They don't always repeat the old print, but they'll be expecting a similar Pantone color they've used before. And that is repeatable um, with our ink mixing system and even just tinting it up and knowing that it needs a bit more white or a bit more mixing yellow. But um, yeah, Wilflex Epic PF is our go-to, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful standard white. Mm. Um, we have experimented with a few other Epic, a few other Wilflex inks lately. They sent us some different samples and I said to the guys, hey, give these a go and give me some feedback. And in the end, they went, yeah, can we go back to Epic? We, just, <laughs> we, just, yeah. we do use Rutland as well. Yeah. Um, and we use the, the Rutland ink matching you know, for Pantone's mm -hmm. system. Yeah. And look, we we have had some issues with white lately with them. Yeah. And there seems to be some kind of hubbub in the community about what's going on. And I'm not entirely mm. sure how factual all that stuff is, but. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's been reliable for us. We we, we like both of them. Nice. We tend not to to use water base. Mm. It's just too hard to be honest. And yeah, I don't think people generally appreciate it. If someone asks for it, we probably will. <coughs> mm. um, but uh, generally, we we'll, we we'll, we stick to uh, to uh, plastisol. Mm. So in terms of print job types, obviously you're largely in the the branded clothing market mm. but there are any particular print jobs you like best like would you do you like a don't say a black print on a white garment we all love those as, as shop owners but no. um you know like for me it's simulated process i just drool over those kind of jobs would that be the same yeah. for you or something else yeah absolutely they come with their own challenges but the results are so satisfying especially when the customer has the reaction you would hope for which is like wow it looks so great in the sense that they didn't know if it was going to translate onto fabric, you know, yeah. they don't yeah. understand the process and, you know, how many screens you remade to really get that halftone dialed in or, you know, changing meshes and stuff to kind of find the sweet spot for the, for the image, what the image deserves, the artwork, but yeah, definitely simulated process. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, having an eight year old tea and kind of using it as a sales pitch in a way for a mm -hmm. customer that walks in it's most of your customer custom walking custom or i know you said you use mailchimp but how do you yeah. generally drum up your business we never that's not right that's not true we typically have never advertised um i built the entire business off instagram and posting what we did and the cool brands we work with and not every job that comes in the door is an exciting cool brand sometimes it's just a plumber's business which is it's exciting for them to get their t-shirts and sometimes it's companies that um are looking for someone to illustrate artwork for them now i love illustration but the, the time that i have to throw into that as a business owner is not possible so um sometimes it's not worth it or possible so we have a network of artists we connect people to they tell me what they're thinking of and i'm like i've got the guy you should go see they've got their own rates but once they've finished designing your artwork you know they'll know how to design it for us and we can use it for print and we've had some great results with stuff like that so i think having a, a network of people that have seen what we do on instagram which we've been really slack on i've been really slack on instagram this year just because it's been one of those years that i'm trying to make myself redundant and it hasn't happened yet and i'm working too much but um that's part of running a business like you said when things fall down you're the one that has to make it come 
to where it needs to be. So yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, I built the business off Instagram. We do a little bit of advertising. We get some, it's very rare someone will walk in if that hasn't already called us and made an appointment. And I think that's because we're in the outer suburbs. When we were in a city, so when I first started Born and Thread um, and having a standalone space outside of my apartment in Richmond, <laughs> um, it was in a city, Kensington, which is very close to the city hub. And we got a lot of walk-ins just purely because it was easy to access, lots of inner city uh, youthful people wanting to start a brand and had seen us on Instagram. I'll just drop in and have a chat to this guy, which was a little bit disruptive, but I loved it also. Um, mm -hmm. I miss a bit of that walk-in kind of excitement, kind of this could be a cool idea from this guy. But now that we're out in the suburbs, about 30 minutes from the city and in a bit of an industrial area in Ringwood, we don't get so many walk-ins, but people still seem to find us, which is awesome. But yeah, mm -hmm. mostly I think our business is built on word of mouth and what they see online. And you're also distributing across Australia. It's not just in the Melbourne area. Yeah. 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 We send, we tend to find like, for example, we'll print for a brewery and they might be in a small regional Victoria or a New South Wales town. And they'll tell all their mates this amazing merch they got. And, and that's not me blowing my horn. I just mean like they're really impressed with the AS color quality because they've maybe never had that kind of yeah. shirt before. They've gone to gigs and brought a Gildan tea and it's fallen apart maybe a year or two later but um and and then we tend to have all their friends coming to us for prints which is like awesome so mm -hmm. that seems to be the way that i think we build a we get pigeonholed for beer breweries and all these different little shops that find us which i think is really cool yeah so your product is actually doing the marketing for you really in those types pretty of much AS color makes us look good. <laughs> we just have to put a good print down. So yeah. 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 Which yeah. is important. And do you yeah. plan to kind of move into other markets as well? Or do you just take what comes? I mean, obviously you've got your kind of mainstay around uh, clothing brands and, but you, do you say, I want to go into the cafe market or, you know, anything like that? But Well, we started with just apparel brands and they typically have the most interesting because they plan seasonal releases because they have all these cool themings and some brands are based around cars, which I'm an ex-mechanic, so I'm always anything car related. I'm very excited to be involved yeah. in print. Um, uh, but no, we, we already kind of do cafes, small businesses, restaurants, um, sporting events. Um, we do national events that go around the country that are on display and they need merch at every one of the stops during the year um, and bands. We don't do a lot of bands, but we get some of that. There's lots of band merch printers in Melbourne. So I think they've yeah, kind of yeah. captured that market. But yeah, no, I think one of the things we're going to expand into, which is something exciting for me, which is why I've been working so hard on this redundancy system um, of recorded video tutorials on how to run the business is um, I really want to get into stock holding and drop shipping for clients. So not okay. print. Yeah, not print on demand. So one gap I've noticed, a bottleneck for my customers, we can print three or four different designs for a release in spring, summer, winter, whatever. And then they come down with their car and they're like, how many boxes are there? Like if there's hoodies, you've got 12 to 15 to a box. And they've just printed a hundred hoodies and they're just like, how am I going to get this home? You know, they might live locally, but it's just a nightmare for them. Mm. And I've noticed that when I've floated the question or I've been asked a few times, um, would you guys hold it and ship it for me? That's been 
an interesting idea I dived in a year ago and we've actually set it all up. We've got all our pricing and structure and how we run it. So next year when we move, I'm going to have a dedicated area for apparel brands that their business has grown more than a hobby on the weekend or after hours, like where instead of it taking up half their house and trying to manage their own inventory, we can do it for them. So that's so something I'm expanding into. Yeah. So you're printing the whole order, stocking it, and then doing the shipping for them. Yeah. The final yeah, fulfillment, the delivery yeah. fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And giving them a weekly or monthly report on their stock levels. So we'll set flag falls based on how quickly their stuff sells. Yeah, so we can right. go, hey, this this design that you printed a hundred of is down to 20. That'll basically wipe itself out in a week. You should mm. probably place an order so we can run some more. That's and, a great business model. Yeah. Mm, I like yeah. That. So you're not doing any direct garment or any direct film or anything? No. Oh, no, no. To hear that. <laughs> yeah. So there is still that element of risk for them, but we find about half of our apparel brands or a third will do pre-order sales. Well, they'll get us to do our accurate mock-up where we'll take the photos from AS Color and actually render the garment with an accurately sized mock-up in the correct position. Like yourself, you probably receive a lot of mock-ups made by a client where the, the pocket prints up here and yeah, the back prints oh, like stretching big. across. The, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're just like, yep, yeah, okay. And and then when we go to print it, you know, their customers might be like, oh man, that's very different to the image I saw. So part of our service for pre-sales is we'll actually do accurate renders for them um, in whatever like dimensions they need for their web store or Instagram so that they can get the same product when it's finished. So um yeah, so we get a whole bunch of people pre-sailing and we get a big chunk of them already know that they'll get sales because they're established and they will um, print a certain batch and know that a big chunk of them will sell. So doing the printing and stock holding and dispatching it for them, I think just takes that offering of supporting apparel brands to the next level for those that want yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah that's, that's the next step. Idea. Yeah. And it allows you to avoid the kind of nightmare fulfillment of doing direct garment or direct to film, you know, single prints. It's just, I can't understand it in a way. Like, I get it in terms of fulfillment, but how the market continues to sort of boast about, you know, how great it is, forgetting, you know, the issues around quality of the actual print, yeah. the fact that some of them are just, you know, ostensibly this color, yeah. almost, almost color vinyl heat press, you know, some of the direct film stuff is. Yeah, um, but the economics of it just you know drives me bonkers listening to those uh, well, discussions that people have about them. Yeah, I've had the same kind of discussions, and we had a DTG printer for a very short time that we got secondhand from a screen print shop that was basically done with it. They tried it and didn't like it, and they were selling it really cheap. And we got asked so often for under twenty, which is our minimum for a single color print, or up to four colors. Um, for just one-offs here and there. And I was sending it to other companies. I always try and have a solution for people. That's not my solution, but try these guys, they offer DTG or try these guys, they do, you know, one-off embroidery. Um, and yeah, we got the DTG machine in and it was interesting, but I just felt the upkeep and maintenance on it, the cost of the inks, the quality, like I was printing shirts for myself and just fun joke t-shirts to wear that, something you kind of do with screen printing, but you don't because there's a lot of time involved in shooting a screen and doing all that. Um, so that was fun, but it, the, the quality wasn't there for me. And this wasn't a, a an old machine. It was just a few years old. And I was like, man, 
this technology is not where it needs to be. And people are like you have had happen where people are boasting about how great this whole print fulfillment system is. And it's like, it's mm -hmm. not. My wife got a jumper um, a few years back, or maybe a year back, actually, a year and a half ago. It was a Kath and Kim jumper, this funny little picture from Kath and Kim on a hoodie, on a pale pink hoodie. Mm -hmm. And it was DTG. And I said to her, you love that jumper, but the first time you watch it, you're going to have a massive saturation loss. And I said, like, probably close to 30 or 50% of the color is going to wash out. And, mm -hmm. um, and it did. And the print's broken down, and now it's just got little chunks of the print left. And she's devastated, you know, mm -hmm. but... She's asked me, how oh, do you think you could recreate it as a screen print? And she knows it's a massive amount of time to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I know you really love that jumper, but no, I'd probably get you a digital transfer or something. But even that has its limitations on quality. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. So no, um, the idea behind the print, the print stockholding and then um, dispatch is to really um, hold true to screen printing as the top tier, I think, still which is why it's still around yeah. application um, for garment printing and then, yeah, offering a final solution. But yes, DTG, DTF, DTF seems to be exploding at the moment. I mean, originally it was super color transfers that everyone was using and now they've all got their own DTF machines and showing videos. I've seen sponsored Instagram posts and stuff where they're like rubbing it on concrete, you know, and saying, look how durable it is. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, that's interesting. It's just, yeah. there's, um, there's a good podcast out this week by Printavo. I don't know if you listen to their podcast. No. Um, it's a good, good commercial oriented yeah. podcast, I think. I'll check um, it out. But yeah, Stephen Ferris from Campus Inc., I think is his company, um, did this kind of expose on the director film market because everyone's going on about it. And Ooh. basically, he just, they've obviously spent a bit of cash. Yeah. And, um, you know, tried the bigger systems out. The first one, they just took it back. They just, mm. you know, they really tried. They replaced most of the parts, you know. Mm. Second one, similar kind of experience. And the third one, they, they feel like they landed with something, but there's so much wastage yeah. for certain circumstances. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel the same way. And it's kind of like, you know, it's the sort, for me, it's like the... The second law of thermodynamics in a way like if you move away from the the kind of true positive real ink situation yeah. to something that's you know a lower grade kind of tech maybe a higher grade technology but a lower grade output it's not going to work in the same way and it's it's funny we get people in here um i'm sure you have the same thing and because <coughs> we're in a smaller town we tend not to get too many walk-ins and we kind mm -hmm. of don't want it in a way and mm -hmm. we'll get someone come in you know they'll have a full color photo or something and i say i want that printed on three t-shirts just like you are minimums 20 yeah and i say to them you see that machine there that uses real ink it's you know it's like watery ink you know we use plastic mm -hmm. but yeah it, you know it actually gets lit and they're like oh yeah you know they just don't get that no but it's the and i say but this stuff's the best you know but we can't do three shirts <laughs> oh so i guess yeah. it does have its place you know yeah yeah, I, I remember when DTG started coming to the forefront and nearly every print shop around me I knew was getting one. And I just, they were all saying, oh, it's going to replace screen printing. And then you look at the output and, and pre-press, like getting the, um, what do they call it? The stuff you put down first on the shirt, I forget the name of it. The anyway, pre-treatment. Uh, pre-treatment, sorry. Yes, the yeah. pre-treatment on 
the garments. Just that whole process looked like a nightmare to me. And I'm like, how many shirts are you putting out an hour? Oh, I've got three machines and I can put out 15, 20 shirts an hour. <laughs> Forget that. Like, what? Yeah, but I sell each shirt for 35 bucks. I'm like, yeah, because you're doing two or three, you're basically selling to retail. You're not yeah. doing yeah, a consumer, right. like you're selling direct to consumer, not someone building a brand. Because someone building a brand can't sell that shirt on when it's costing them $35 and make any money. So it's like, to me, I was like, this is never going to go anywhere. Um, and and I mean, it, like you said, it's got its place. If someone needs a one-off photo print of their dog that just passed, well, yeah, that's an effective way to get a one-off T-shirt, but it's yeah. not not for production, no. Mm. no. And anything that interrupts, you know, if, if one of our major issues is always going to be staff, right, mm. which it is, mm. um, anything that interrupts the money-earning aspect, <laughs> it's yeah. just not... You know, not worth it. Not worth doing. Um, hey, look, which if you know, if you had a new brand come on, hey, I want to start a clothing brand, and of course, mm -hmm. it's quite. I find that really disturbing when someone comes on. I'm just starting. Oh, really? Brand. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just panic because I think, okay, you know what? What have they been told? First of all, you know, yep. they're going to come up with some cookie idea with no actual brand, maybe yeah. even just a design, but no real story around what they're doing, and they're going to be millionaires by Christmas, kind of thing. <laughs> Um, think. Yeah, we, we sometimes because I, I never thought about the stockpiling thing what, what should we call that stockpiling fulfillment almost yeah or stockpiling delivery or there must be some language yeah. around stockholding and dispatch yeah stockholding and dispatch yeah. um we sometimes try to get people we just had one in darwin i think he was and he had 50 designs you know and and i said look mate you know and he's they're black on white t-shirt you know and i said look there's this thing called plastisol heat transfers oh no you know i don't like transfers or well, let me try and explain a bit more we do try and push those kind of early starters where it's simple prints into yeah. that model would that be something you did like do you offer plastisol heat transfers as a general service no not at all um not even for inside next or we even print inside next um yeah I mean, we probably shouldn't, but we do because I just, we have more control over it. But um, it's a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. So yes, we do get a lot of people walking in, and it's a, something that once I've set up the stock holding and dispatch physically, not just all the pricing and the structure that I've built around it so far. Um, we've got probably eight or ten of our clients that want to jump on it as soon as we've got the space to hold their stock. So yep. they're very excited about next year. But um, I think. Something that I've been working on, which is, I don't believe in any secret squirrel stuff. I think there's enough people that think they hold the information close to their chest, so I'm not afraid to share it. But something I'm really excited about working on once all that's set up next year is um, print consultation. So, and actually building a course. So with the screen recording stuff I've been doing, I want to screen record, this is how you plan a, your first release. This is how you design your oh, artwork. Geez in yeah. illustrator or photoshop how to yeah, set up exactly. graph scaled and your dpi correctly what effects to be aware wary of that won't translate the screen printing how to make your own pre-sale images accurately placed in positions that screen printers can actually use and the idea of the course isn't to necessarily drive people to come use us but to educate them because like what you were just talking about you get somebody in and they've got 50 designs and they think they're going to be they got all these cool ideas they've never seen before. And I'm, you're like, I'm really sorry. There's a reason why you don't see from one shoulder to the other shoulder screen prints because it's near impossible to execute correctly. 
um, without it looking like absolute rubbish. But yeah, cool idea, you know, wraparound prints, um, stuff like that, that I'm sure you get sent every second week. But um, yeah, so that we do a lot of educating new clients and we try to be fairly efficient at it these days because of all the walk-ins and because we're known as an apparel screen printer. But um, for people starting their own mini brand. But um, I think... Yeah, building this course will help me educate them. But yes, to answer your question, sorry, I keep getting off track. No, no, um, to, great. To answer your question, um, we typically recommend clients to have two to three designs to launch with. Maybe have one that's got two or three colors and a couple others that are simple. And we show them that, like, if you did a white color design, you can actually use AS Colors, like, awesome color range to emphasize that. You know, do some black tees because black tees will always sell. But then maybe do some, you know, uh, the new cypress green color they've released or this new blue that they've released. Mm. And that seems to be quite hot, keeps selling out. So maybe kind of guide them to some colors that might help them. And, and, and we tell them this is really just to minimize your risk. Not that you don't have these amazing designs, but if you're going to do a six or an eight color print, we're going to do 50 minimum. You get your screen setups for each one of those colors. And if it doesn't land as well as you thought, you're going to financially be out of a lot of pocket. So use these first simple designs and your first release and maybe don't do all the extra trimmings like custom neck labels and swing tags and folding and bagging and a sticker in each bag and a thank you card. You know, maybe don't launch with everything, just maybe launch your designs, simplify. Mm. And uh, once you've made your money back on that, um, you'll be in a position to then take some risk because you've doubled your money on what you put in at the start. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. well you, you really got the... Um the angle and the right consulting model in terms of offering that kind of advice. I mean, I think mm. that actually will, will be a really good marketing thing. I know you say it's not really to drive business, but you know, if you can yeah. give someone confidence in what you do and, and also one of the things I've learned a little bit about in this business is holding people's hands through the yeah. process Absolutely. because you'll get a customer who's been lumped with the job of getting the t-shirts and hasn't got a clue and is overwhelmed Mm. I find if you can just sort of talk them through and help them understand and manage their expectations, yeah. they, they tend to go for it a bit more. But that, that sounds like a a real, I mean, I'd sign me up, you know, like that, that yeah. sounds like something I could really learn and, and benefit from. Mm. So you you print neck labels on the press. Yeah. I'm pleased to hear that. We we do both. Yeah. But it's really down to the size of the order. Um mm. And obviously, if you do a plastic soil transfer and press it, it is lovely and smooth, but it looks kind of shiny. Mm. It doesn't look yep. quite right to me. It doesn't um, look the same as a print. Yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. Do you, uh, and you may not want to comment on this, which would be fine. Do you ever have any kind of real nightmare customers who, you know, have the, you know, stratospheric um, idea about expectation on quality or on what's possible? Mm. How, how do you deal with those types of customers that, you know, maybe you've printed and the neck label's too big or, I don't know, the image is too big or something's not quite right? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So part of that hand-holding you talk about, um, typically our hardest customers are ones that have been burnt before, like I was at the start where I had a terrible screen printer deliver this subpar job and didn't communicate anything. And I just felt like at the end of it, like I got a really poor result and didn't understand if this was the standard or if this was. So typically the ones that don't seem to trust in our output and like our showroom is full of like probably 
350 print samples from simulated process to glow in the dark to puff to we use a really cool ink called crystallina which is an overlay ink it puts like a turtle shell texture um yeah. and color you should, you should check that out it's it's four times as expensive as any other ink but it's a really <laughs> cool effect it's basically suspended in like a clear polymer gel and so when you print it if you print it over the top of a color like yellow for example it'll make that yellow look metallic but not like a gold metallic it just gives it like a turtle shell reflective metallic look and wow. super cool so we've got all these cool samples in our showroom like glow in the dark stuff like that and um and it's just like if they can't get to us and they can't see and be shown what a job sheet looks like and that we count everything off and that there's this whole process for making sure that what's in the box is what they asked for um, and it's all signed off by whoever counted it. Typically, our worst customers are the ones that have been burnt before. Um, and we, once they've gone through the process once, normally they're okay. And we've got them for life normally. Um, but there has been instances, and I'm not afraid to comment on it, um, where we've had a client that has had unreasonable expectations every time. To the point where they were measuring our back prints and being like, this print isn't 120 mil gap, it's 121.5. <laughs> and, and getting upset and having to explain to them, like, we're, we're not like, this isn't like, we're not Tesla's um, battery factory here. We're not a gigafactory. This is a hand manual, you know, artisan almost process yes. yeah, where, is. you know, each shirt is manually loaded and and i just think that you need to have some reasonable kind of expectations there and after five or so jobs of every job in finding something to ask for a credit or a or a freebie next time i just got to the point where i said to them politely like we have really high standards here and i'm i'm really disappointed we're not meeting them for you i've spent years building this business around delivering a really good product and and managing expectations of what is possible, I think, and what we do and what's possible in the industry. So I'm sorry we don't meet those standards, but yeah, I think maybe you should find another printer and see if someone can meet them because I don't think we can. And, and that's either met with like um, disdain and upset and they probably don't like being rejected and just want to kind of lash out or sometimes they're just like, really? And you're like, yeah, I can't. I can't put effort and work into you when I've got clients that appreciate what we do. So um, I just try, try to be honest is the short version. Yeah. Would you blacklist them? Like if they came yeah. back? Yeah. Yep. We have, we have, because we have this massive network of clients that want to work with us week in, week out that are our repeats. And then we've got new clients that we're excited to work with because they seem like a good fit for us. Not everyone's a good fit. Um, so yeah we try to notice that early and and try to help people that we think will be a good fit and not as in work within our process but work within um reasonable expectations because some people yeah just don't understand the process like you said that they don't understand that it's a an ink that you basically squeeze through a screen with a very fine-tuned process to get this amazing result you know at the end of the day so yeah, that's I think something we've really benefited from is having open days where oh, um, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do any this year and we haven't really done any since COVID. Um, like I mean, yesterday for our anniversary party, people were able to come over to our print factory and see us printing jobs. Um, 
normally on an open day, we're actually printing a t-shirt where they can go up to a pile of blank shirts on a table and be like, yeah, I'll take the burgundy extra large and then we'll take it over to the press and they'll watch their shirt get printed. And, oh, nice. and when it comes out of the oven, you know, you lift it up, give it a flick and go, here you go, here's your shirt. And it just blows their mind. Um, but really prior, prior to that, we'll walk them through the screen making process and how to mix a Pantone and, you know, and, and our little UV light system. So we've got a proper LED daylight light above our ink mixing area. So when we're looking through the Pantone swatch book, at the back of the book, there's that little light indicator. Then make sure that you're actually accurately looking at the color correctly. Um, and I think once they see the whole process, they're just like, it really helps them appreciate how much work goes into before the inks on the garment um, and all the things that we catch prior to that stop a problem. So um, open days have been really good for educating customers. Typically, they're all existing customers, but then they have a new appreciation for the work you do. But sometimes there are newbies that come along that haven't printed with you before that you can really impress them in the sense that, yeah, this is a process that isn't as simple as you might think. Mm. Can I just ask you about that Crystallina? Is that a Wilfax ink? Sorry to go back to uh, that. No, it's a Union ink, I think, from memory. Union ink. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of it. And you'd run that through an open mesh 392. Oh, 32T, yeah, it's very chunky. Um, yeah. And and it, obviously you can have bleeding issues with it if you're going too heavy. But um, yeah, it's it's just an overprint. Like you can print it direct to fabric. We've got three samples in our showroom. We've got it on a black t-shirt directly, a white t-shirt directly, and then on a on a t-shirt that has a three color print, a white base, a yellow, and then a black key line. And it's just on the yellow, on top of the yellow. So when you print it direct to black, it ends up looking very orangey like almost like a coppery speckle fleck. And when yeah. you print it on white, it ends up looking very, basically almost mimics the color it's under, but has its own reflective. If you think of a seashell, it's got that turtle shell effect, that little shimmer. That's yeah. what it's got. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff, but really expensive, but you should check it out. It's fun. Yeah, it's a nice I'm mm. super excited just to learn about it. And mm. Definitely going to go and check that out. Um, let's think of if you're, you're going okay for time. Oh, yeah, no, I've got it all the time. It's all good. Yeah. wanted to ask you about the business side of it um, a little more. Um, you, you've got a plan to be into new premises uh, mid-next mid year. You're mm -hmm. currently running out of two sites, but directly opposite, I think you'd said, in yeah. the same complex. How do you do that, actually? Do you run one press in one? Or like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, great question. So it was kind of something that, we got so busy during COVID and things died really. I don't, I don't know if this happened for you, but when in that March, when all the announcements started happening, especially in Melbourne, event work dried up overnight. I think we returned like $30,000 worth of stock back to AS Color and paid the restocking fees because we just had that many clients cancel their events because their events were just done overnight. Yep. Um, so, and we had about a month's worth of print work built up. About a week of it disappeared and then, the next three weeks we were printing and there was just nothing coming in. Everyone was just like, what's going to happen? Is the state mm -hmm. shutting down? Is the city shutting down? It was very like, a, you know, probably like everyone, you look back now and be like, oh, it wasn't as big a deal as we thought. But it, overnight things stopped. And then after a month, we got to a point where it was back to full production again, which we were very lucky. After two months, we were busier than we'd ever been. Um and I think that had a lot to do with, when I look back, I think it had a lot to do with people 
typically maybe starting a brand and trying to get some stuff out of China. China's lead times have come down massively. You know, like 10 years ago when I started this, you'd be talking 16 or, or 12 weeks to get something out of China um, and maybe four or six weeks prior to that to get a sample and then hope the stuff that was coming was going to be the same, um, which we saw a brand doing that and kind of rolling the dice. And you're like, wow, I, I wouldn't do it for power to you. Um, so I think with the whole COVID thing shutting down a lot of these countries, the, the globe, people were just looking for locally. And I think also people that had always wanted to start a brand had time off work because everyone was just at home. So we just had this influx of work. And it got to a point where we were tripping over boxes. If WorkSafe had come out, we would have been over the ringer because there was just no space for anybody to move. Mm -hmm. And um, rather than move the business during COVID, which seems like a massive risk because I didn't know what was going to happen, there was a space across the road that was available. Uh, it was full of solar panels, but a single phase inverter. So we put a three phase inverter in, we put all LED lights, roof lights, um, hanging lights from the roof over our print areas and did all the electrical work 10 or 15 grand later. And we set up that as our print production factory. So that's where all the printing happens. And what would be the showroom over there or the office over there is our staff room. And um, we do all our relabeling in house. That's our sewing room. So we, we handle all of that internally so that's our sewing room and then all that ink and ink mixings over there and where we obviously fold and, and lay up every job and box it but our current factory is stock holdings so this is where we store all the stock when it comes from as color it's where our showroom is and it's where our dark room still is because we'd already invested in building that there so and where our film printer is so yeah it's split between two parts of production okay wow you sew your own labels you, you wouldn't get as color to do that we used to, yeah, at the very start, we used to, but it was a massive, it was a bottleneck problem because someone would place an order, we'd produce the labels, which would take a week or two, um, silk neck labels or woven damask labels, and then we'd send them to AS Color with a very detailed job sheet, which they had their own template for that, saying, you know, sew them in here um, and put a pip tag on the, on the sleeve of the shirt or whatever, and... Um, so that would take them between another two or three weeks to do that. Yeah. So we'd be at five weeks before we could get a garment on the press. And it was just such a long lead time that we just found clients, you know, contacting us three or four weeks in being like, are they ready yet? And we'd already told them it was going to take them five weeks before we'd get them back. But it was just, so the advantage of bringing it in house was massive for us because we went from a six week turnaround for a finished garment printed after it had been relabeled to order the garments, print them. As soon as they're printed within that one or two week period based on our print schedule, relabel them straight away, done. Two and a half weeks. So we cut it down to nearly a third. And that was a big game changer for us solving that problem. So where do you get the labels done? Are you getting them done overseas? or, or No, here in Australia. Yeah, Australian yeah. supplier out in New South Wales. They, they produce all our labels for us. Um, and something I want to bring in house at some point. It might be more of a headache than it's worth, but currently I'm investigating that. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you do any embroidery anyway? No, we 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 do offer embroidery. Yes, that's not true. We do offer embroidery and we do that through an embroidery partner that doesn't deal with the public. They pretty much exclusively do wholesale embroidery for printers um, or for big event suppliers and stuff like that. And they work with us, I think, because we're quite detail orientated and we give them very clear instructions. We know the limitations of embroidery. I've been doing this for a little while. So 
um, we typically don't send them a problem job. I think there's been one job in two years that they've been like, Dan, we can't, this is too much detail. This is going to be a problem with the style of stitch pattern. So, mm. um, yeah, but I want to bring that in house and that's part of getting a bigger space, you know, get an eight head embroidery machine and be able to handle all that in house. Mm. If you've got 10 years, you've got more than 10 years in the screen print industry, but 10 years in the company, born mm. and thread, but if you were to start again, knowing what you now know, <laughs> uh, from that point where you leave your apartment, right, and you move into your, your factory, what do you think you'd do differently? I would have got a bigger space from the very start. The, I, I probably spent a hundred grand on setting up different factories easily, which is part of the learning process. If I do it differently, I would probably be less conservative and be a little more back yourself and just have, probably would have got a three or 400 square meter factory from the start because in the long term, it would have played out super beneficial. Um, there'd be a lot more of that equipment that I'm waiting to buy just based on not setting up new factories that yeah. could have happened. So, cause I reinvest everything back in the business. Um, even being a car guy and a lot of my life when I was younger, I have many car friends from Brisbane before I moved to Melbourne that I had a different car every six months. That was my life was my world was building and driving and playing with cars. And since moving to Melbourne, I've had two cars that I've played with and, um, uh, well, that's fun. I've, I've probably got 10 or 15 grand into them. So it's not a lot of money. But um, I just think that for me, I'm very focused on building this business into something I'm really proud of. And, and my staff enjoy working there. So we're orientated on making it somewhere fun. We've got a really good retention of staff, I think, because of that. But um, yeah, I, I think how, what how I would do. do, do that, Dan? How do you, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. how do you make it fun? You know, I'm not saying our place isn't fun, but no. I can always learn, you know, new oh. things about how to get that right. Yeah. Okay. Well, once a month, we used to go down to a, a little RSL club at the end of our street and do a pub lunch or something. And and while that would be very unproductive for production and, and 100% time off the machine and making no money for a few hours, I think that gave something back to the staff. Okay. Um, and, you know, we in the office, we run tunes in the print factory. They have different days for different tunes for people to experience their own music. But um, I guess it's probably not tolerating any kind of toxicity like even in the interview process if there's any hints of them being a little bit egotistical like we just don't have room for it like yeah. even, you know and there seems to be a lot of toxicity in the industry that i worked in prior to running my own shop i found there was always a us and them a people in the office versus the screen printers they felt like we're the ones that make the money you're just the monkeys that type and separate the artwork and i <laughs> we have we have none of that um and I've experienced that at a couple of shops I've worked at. So I think that helps. Everyone's on the same team. We don't do like, like big team meetings or any kind of stuff like that, but we definitely try to um, all be on the same page, working towards the same goals. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that, that RSL club thing was a nice way to give back when we had a killer month and everyone had been really, you know, working hard. But when COVID hit, we couldn't do that. Melbourne was in a hard lockdown. You know, I had to issue... Man, you know, yeah. workers' permits for them to drive more than five k's yeah. away from their house. It got ridiculous, but we, it got ridiculous. I understand why they did it. I'm not going to comment on the whole how it was managed. That's not something I'm even. I don't actually have that much of a problem with it. But I just mean, as in, I look back now and be like, wow, you couldn't go further than five k's of your house one hour outside a day. It was 
it was challenging, especially for my wife with a newborn child. It's not what she expected for her maternity leave. But yeah. <laughs> I talked to the staff after a few months and we were so busy and everyone was working so hard and we were adding more staff and added the second factory and just felt like things were rapidly expanding. Um, I had a chat with the staff and I was like, hey, I got this idea. I think it could be a good idea, but, you know, I don't want to be that boss that just implements things and you guys go, why wouldn't he ask us? That's a terrible idea, you know, directly offends them. So I said, I'm thinking about getting a barbecue and doing a, a barbecue Monday. So you guys can pick what we cook on the barbecue each week. A different person gets to pick. And on a Monday, we also don't bring in lunch. You can bring in a few things for the barbecue once we've picked it. So they've got a little pencil case full of all these ideas for the barbecue. And, and we just get our cook on every Monday. And um, yeah, we've cooked some ridiculous stuff on there that when they tell me what they've decided, I'm like, oh, how am I going to cook that on a barbecue? But okay, you know. You do so, the cooking. Yeah. So that, that I think has been a really good game changer. They call it, um, they seem to call it like, let's make Mondays suck less. Like the Monday barbecue is gets everyone excited to start the week. So that's something that might help morale. I, I, I don't know. Stuff like that. It's a great yeah. idea. Um, we basically, we do kind of pizza nights here and we do, we yeah. do a Christmas lunch. We do a Christmas lunch every year, but yeah. you know, you kind of expect that really. At least I hope mm. people expect mm. that. Um, so yeah, I think some, I like the barbecue idea and we, we're in a kind of industrial complex here and the people right next to us, actually one of our customers, but they're a, a keep fit. Uh, it's not called mm. keep fit anymore, is it? But, showing my age. <laughs> but mm. they, you know, one of those amazing gyms mm. and they get a barbecue on quite often and, and get that going. And next to them is a brewery and they oh, quite wow. often have something going. Yeah. They're oh. about to move actually, sadly to, to bigger premises. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then there's a fruiter here and an electrician and you know all the usual yeah. kind of people, I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good idea. I might run that past the team and see what they make of that in the new year and yeah. Yeah. give that a go. Um, yeah. Have you ever had to let anyone go or fire anyone in, in, yeah, in 10 years? Sadly, yeah. A couple of times, actually, um, especially when finding screen printers. We get some screen printers that we would always get them in to have a chat and then generally just get them on the press to register a two or three color print, get them to do a test test print, like a strike off, just to see if they could pull a squeegee like they said they could, because some people like to pretend, I guess is the word, saying it nicely. Um, yeah. And that's a good way to just eliminate that before you've gone to the effort of canceling your ad and getting them in and giving them a contract <laughs> and then going, oh my God. So I learned that the hard way once. Um, so yeah, no, I have had to let a couple of people go and it was heartbreaking. Um, one of them was a really good person, but just was not able to fit. I guess my my attitude, especially coming from some major companies and being a manager is I don't do metrics. Like I don't monitor how long their lunch breaks are. I don't monitor how many prints they're getting out per hour. Like within reason, there's expectations, but there's not like why didn't you do 150 this hour, this hour you did 200. Like it's, that kind of stuff's ridiculous. But um, yeah. I think what I do offer is I try to say, don't think you're hitting the mark for us, like quality control, or you're not hitting the mark for output or you're not hitting the mark for um, mixing with the rest of the crew, like what's going on and what can I give you to get you there? Like try to solve the problem for them. And after three or four times of giving them everything that they need to get there and they still can't get there, I try to be like almost self-selection 
and be like, you know, do you think you're the right fit here? I don't know what else I can give you. Have you got anything else you need? When they run out of things that you can give them to help them get there and they realize they can't get there, often it's kind of a very simple, yeah, I'm sorry, mate. I don't think this is going to work. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice way of managing it out. Yeah. Striking them off. Yeah. Oh, I invest in the person. Like mistakes are always going to happen. And, and even now with the new person we put on earlier this year, she's had a heap of mistakes that have made her devastated. But I'm like, you're only making these mistakes once. Like I'm invested in you. If you're making those mistakes 10 times over and over again, then you just don't care. That's mm. a different thing. Mm. So, yeah. 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 I think that's critical with staff to be able to get them to understand that it's okay to stuff up. Absolutely. You know, um, but stuffing up too many times, we need to kind of take a look at this. <laughs> Why is this happening? What's going on? We, we do yeah. have, I won't mention any names, we do have one guy who's one of the part-time team, who's just a beautiful man um, from overseas. He's a PhD student here and he's, you know, he's a great worker. He's got a great work ethic, but he cannot mm. stop popping screens when he's reclaiming them. And it's such oh, a wow. mystery. Yeah, like, how yeah. do you do it, you know? And we keep saying, well, mm. why? why is this happening? And he's lovely. He's very gracious. And he'll, he'll say, oh, maybe it's an old screen. And we we re uh, remesh our screens fairly regular that's something yeah. that you'll do more often when you when you have an um an auto because you don't have the same control as you do on a manual no. um and uh, no no they're not that you know i mean to this day you know he's popped more screens in in a year than, than we've done in 10 or 5 oh, or whatever wow. you know but yeah we just have to kind of get there with him he's, he's i think he's getting better but yeah i think that key you know, work is work, isn't it? At the end of the day, it you sweat. You know what I mean? Like it, there's no, well, I guess there are some easier jobs than others, but it is a toil of some kind. Mm. Um, and making people's life worth coming to work, you, yeah. know, you know, bearable or helping them to become happier as workers amongst their peers. You know, those things are really, really valuable, especially in this day when there's a lot more depression around there's Absolutely. there's recessions coming there's all sorts of problems to try and make them feel loved and, and grow them i think is critical yeah i, I want to add to it i feel like i cheapened it by saying that we just do a barbecue every monday and that's what makes them enjoy their job because like that's obviously a benefit but it's not probably why i want to expand on it if that's okay yeah, of course. Um, being detail orientated which you might have found yourself being process orientated and critically wanting to put out a great product and controlling that process, especially when you started it on your own. Um, mm -hmm. It was very hard early on to like, let stuff just be, that's their job now. And that's how they do it. And that's, you know, they understand what I'm expecting, but they're managing it their own way. And I found it really hard at first to let them own it and not micromanage it. And I very quickly knew how that had a detriment to their own attitude and what they felt about what they were doing so i think over the last six or seven years once i brought on that staff member six years ago five years ago i i felt like i really need to work around this and so my big thing now is like we don't do things just because i say i explain why we do it a certain way and then i always tell them if something doesn't make sense to you, because you're doing this every day, day in, day out, 
or there's a better way or you want to try something, let me know and I'll support you. Get what you need, buy a new little thing, you know. Um, and I like to let them own it and let them feel like it's theirs. And I think that's probably a big part of job satisfaction and not with any kind of wanky kind of like, oh, I let them own the job. Like it's, yeah, it's true. I, I let them feel like they can do it the way they do it. And even if I watch and be like, okay, it's not necessarily how I would do it their output and their satisfaction is what they're getting out of that. So I think that's really important. And maybe that helps them feel like they're valued in their job because they are, they're, they're doing it their own way and, and it works. So, yeah. Yeah. And often it's better than the way that we think, you know, exactly needs to be done. And I guess, you know, one of the things about starting a business is the cost and the idea, yeah, the, the cost of investment in terms of one's time, one's money, one's thinking, Mm. You know, the, the absorption on thinking is inordinate on a business but then the the ratio the link between that and the idea of success mm. you know am i going to be able to keep going as success are we going to expand am i going to earn some money and because of that i think there's a huge tax on people that start business to do it right and get it right and there are these tiny nuances that we make particularly in screen printing it seems um where if it's not done that way by the time we get to over here it's not going to work but actually often some of that's a bit unnecessary, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you think about trying to resolve a problem, right? Like right now we, we changed emulsions uh, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. um, we've just been, I, I guess in a way, maybe we've been getting a bit bored, but I wanted a, I actually wanted an emulsion that would reclaim quicker. For okay. the reasons that are obvious based on what we said. Yeah. And um, a few weeks ago, the, the person that runs the, normally runs the press here, came and said, you do realize that these screens stick to the garments? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. This is pretty significant. Yeah, she said that it, it, it only happens for the first run, um, but they stick, to, they stick to the emulsion. So it's pulling it off the palette? Yeah. Oh, it's no. Yeah. And um, I was like, well, this is a commercial emulsion. Like We, we must be doing something wrong. Mm. And we post harden our screens in the sun. Okay. Um, but where we live, it often doesn't, isn't that sunny? <laughs> I'm quite okay. pleased at the moment because you're in a hoodie. I was on yes. a podcast the other day and I was in a hoodie. Yeah. I think they're in <laughs> Queensland or somewhere and cold the other way around. But yesterday <laughs> it was like, it could have snowed. I mean, it, it was just so cold and it was mm. just pouring with rain the whole time and blowing a hoolie. Anyway, the point I'm coming to is, okay, well, this is a problem that needs resolving. So what's wrong? Don't know. Are we post-hardening them too long? Are we not post-hardening them? Were they the ones we did in the middle of the night and couldn't, you know, didn't bother to put out, you know, because we yeah. were under the pump? And that's the problem, right? There's so many of these tiny nuances. Mm. Is it that? Is it this? Well, let's try that. No, it's not that. It could be this. Oh, it could be that. You know, there's always something else. And I feel that when we start businesses, we're constantly just looking for mm. the path of least resistance for the best quality output. Yeah. And that's why we take massive possession of each nuance or each process. Yes. And we see someone, I mean, obviously someone's going to blow out a screen when they're reclaiming it. We don't want that. But mm. we want, like you say, we want the person to own it. And I feel like that's of some value. I, um, I mean, these are not very interesting anecdotes in a way, but I do remember being a kid and, you know, getting the kind of school job and then the, the Saturday thing, the summer holidays and what have you. And just having clearly being a dog's body you know thinking, yeah. is this what works like you know 
And even then, <laughs> a 15-year-old or whatever I was, if someone had said, how do you think we should do this? I probably would have come up with a stupid idea, but I would have felt valued and, you know, yeah. listened to. And, and I think those things are so important. Um, mm. But yeah, look, I didn't get the idea you weren't doing that just because you're doing your Barbie on. No, yeah, I just wanted to be like, that's just a fun thing we do. But yeah. yeah. And, and listen, you know, start the week on a Monday with a Barbie. I want to come to work, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to chat to the staff about it <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. It sets the tone for a week. I think it's really good. It's not super productive. Like, you know, sometimes everyone overeats and we're all just like, oh, man, I wish there was a capsule. Like <laughs> down, so typically is a one o'clock lunch the printers finish up at three those last two hours aren't very productive but um but uh it sets the tone for the week you know it sets it up for a good week normally can i ask you how do you cope with um you know if you're if your minimum order quantity is 20 and then you might get a 50 100 or 500 or so on um and then you get a biggie right so it's they're similar kind of numbers to what we would do uh, typically, on average, we print between four and seven hundred garments a day is our sort mm -hmm. of standard, and then we might get a biggie in for five thousand garments, let's say. Yeah. And we look at that and we go, "Well, isn't that great?" Because we've got an auto, mm -hmm. and you know, if we get the setup right, we put four people supporting the press. Yeah. We'll kick out five six hundred an hour. How hard can it be? Mm -hmm. and there's two issues with that that come to mind straight away. One is. Um, well, all the other jobs just stop, right? And so you go, yeah, but this is super efficient. <laughs> yeah, but those customers are not getting served. Mm. And that's a dilemma for us, and and yeah. we deal with that in a particular way. Um, mm. But the other thing is, you know, it, it is really efficient. You are making a much better bang for your buck there, or yeah. much better yeah. buck for your bang, really. Mm. Um, how do you kind of deal with that? Like, do you, for example, do you put on longer hours do you put on a night shift like what, how do you cope with those big blockers uh, because of a big order let's say that comes in yeah we get that a fair bit and the way i get around it is adding that second oven really helped um a second dryer tunnel dryer because what we had prior to that is it's the best way to explain this um we'll dedicate one of the presses to the big job and the secondary press will be printing the smaller stuff the problem is with the secondary press they're kind of getting in the way of the big job if it's not a high color job and the output's quite fast on a manual you know you can get 100 to 200 an hour depending on what it is um to 30 to 40 an hour if it's a high color half tone simulated process um so in that sense what we do is we typically don't do longer hours. We just build it into the print schedule so that one person is, instead of getting a whole bunch of jobs out in a day, 50, 20, 100, 200 shirt jobs, we'll just have one press. We'll be working for three or four days on these 2,000 shirts or whatever, which, yes, if I had an auto, that'd be done in a day or two. I need to get one, but it <laughs> does block up our print schedule. And the second press will be running that smaller stuff that we normally do so we're not letting down our regular clients, which in sometimes some of these big orders will tie up our printer for a week, a week and a half. And the second carousel will just keep all those little jobs going out or the regulars going out. Um, the problem we get into is most orders will have a mix of t-shirts and hoodies and you might have the same thing with your inks, but we cure the hoodies at a lower temperature because um, we use a different white base, a non-bleed 
dye migration blocker base and white, poly block white, because mm -hmm. all the AS color poly is, you know, 20 to 30% polyester mix. Um, and that will mean that the t-shirts going through the oven are undercured. So, and we can't stop that big print run while we need to print these 50 yeah. hoodies. So now what we'll do is we'll have the second oven on so that as soon as those t-shirts come out and they've cooled down on the table, they get laid back through again at the correct curing temp. So they're cured yeah. and there's no bank up. So that's how we get around it. We split the jobs okay. and have a secondary oven that our, our layup staff that are catching the job will know that that job is needs to go through an oven again. But that's separate from the production area. It's right next to where they lay up shirts. So gotcha. that's been a game changer for us for not having stuff on a table, banking up, waiting for the oven to be doing t-shirts again for everyone. Yeah. Um, okay. That's been really good. That's a really smart way of resolving that problem. Mm. Yeah. So I, I started taking you down a line of, of thinking and then I spectacularly digressed. Um, <laughs> okay. We were talking about your plans so you're looking for the, this new these new premises, 450 meters, et cetera. Um, what else is on the the radar? You, you talked about an auto earlier on as well, mm -hmm. but longer term, I love this. I need to learn this, right? This thing of redundancy, right? Yes. Becoming redundant, right? Yeah. My wife's on on at me about it all the time, and rightly so. Um, how do you aim to get there? What's your your strategy to make it happen? Because without a plan, we know nothing will happen, right? I think if I didn't set a hard date that I'm going to go away for a few weeks and truly not be contactable, yeah, I don't right. think I'd get there. So um, this time next year, which is a crazy time of year for your business and my business leading up to Christmas busy period, I'm going to go to Japan with my brother, who's an ex-racing driver. He raced all over Europe in a wow. GT3 series. And he was a Nissan factory driver in the GT3 endurance races in Europe for two years in the Blancpain endurance series. Um, a few years back, he, he fulfilled our dream as car guys of become one of us becoming a race driver, which was amazing. Fantastic. And um, he's got a lot of contacts at Nissan. And there's a big thing in Japan about this time of year. It just happened a few weeks ago or a week ago called Nismo Festival. Um, I've been to Japan twice for a couple of trips um, with my wife as just us as a travel. And with two young kids, we haven't really done any big overseas trips until they're a little bit older and that's manageable. Mm. not because kids aren't manageable just because it's it's a massive difference that kind of holiday i think compared to when you're both in your 20s or 30s with no kids and doing <laughs> right. the same holiday I'm, it's not lost on me that'll be very different <laughs> so i'm turning 40 next year and one of the things i really wanted to do next year was um not do a, a destination birthday or anything like that but i said to my wife like you know you're going to be upset with me but i, I want to go to japan with my brother and uh basically do two weeks of just car orientated stuff you know um both my trips to japan I've, I've been to like one race factory that i begged her i had to go to that i'd seen in a blog of japan and and begrudgingly she went along with me for a couple of hours to check it out but um so the idea is yes in november next year during our busiest period i need to have all these processes in place and not just have all the training and video recordings there but have the staff able to search it and get what they need easily and feel confident about learning and not feeling like I got to sit down and watch a 20 minute video and rewind it 50 times to get the nugget of info I need. So I need them to go through it and refine it with me to make sure it's usable. But um, yeah. November next year. Yeah. I want to take two weeks off where I'm, I'm not available unless I check an email at 11 o'clock at night 
and and just reply to something that's absolutely catastrophic i want to be off the radar you have just made my day perhaps not in the way uh, that you think um on friday i leave for korea wow and in the uk and i'm away for four weeks i gotta go see my mum. she's unwell in the uk and catch up with one of my other daughters and the, her husband there um but it's been a it's a good thing right in the sense that you hit the nail on the head you know I've actually got a plan not to be here, which means I've got to make it work here so that it can survive without me. I'm in a slightly different position in that the uh, my business partner is actually one of my daughters. Oh, wow. We, yeah. We started the business together, as I said earlier, just out of a hobby, really. I retired from what I was doing, mm -hmm. a retired period, mm. and sold up. And we started this for fun, and and here we are now. But the cool thing about it is that she she runs out there. And uh, this week I've been taking things right up to pre-press because they're flat stick, you know, making it happen. Um and a few other bits and bobs like I <laughs> got printed on Saturday. Um mm. which was hard work. Um yeah. but the point is that she she does it. She does it all. Now this is actually a point of progression because um when we started, we started with a cheap Chinese press like yours, although I think mm -hmm. cheaper, um, <laughs> so worse. And I almost nearly gave up. And we started with water base. No idea oh, what man. I was doing. Camo the hardest way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just idiot written across my head. And Cam Irvin at the print life was like my hero, right? Like he's mm, such a yes. zany character, but he was so helpful and so honest and a few others. Um, anyway, that's a huge story. Progressed through a few presses, then then bought a proper one. And Lydia, her name is she, she is she was the loader and the catcher, and she was the order of stock, and I did mm. everything else. Oh, and eventually she learned to register, so she wow. would just get the next job ready. You know, yeah. I'd come and off we'd go, and a hundred an hour, five six hours a day when you're in your fifties isn't much fun, right? So, but I did it, you know. And, and we grew anyway the point is i've sat and listened to everyone for years talking about how you really do have to have someone that understands manual printing um to work an auto and i've been terrified of this and prior to us getting an auto we had another guy that printed who we trained up like exactly mm. what you're saying you know yeah uh, three months hand holding push 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 and he was just a trojan he was awesome he didn't give a hoot about screen printing he was a student but he yeah. he just you know i think he was a forward in the, in the rugby team and just made it happen <laughs> um so when we went to the auto lydia said well you know i'm going to be doing all of this now and i in my head i was like this is a disaster mm. <laughs> absolutely yeah. disaster. you don't know anything about squeegee angles or pressure or yeah but you know what she's brilliant uh, and I, you know, I don't just say that because she's my daughter. Mm. She asked me to register a three-color job this morning while she was picking stock, and this is just before the staff came in. And after twenty minutes, she just stopped, came over, tweaked it, and it was done. And I was <laughs> you know, fantastically embarrassed, rightly so. Mm. Um, and so she runs it all out there, literally. You know, she's managing staff. She's only twenty-five. And, you know, yeah, some wow. of the stuff we've had have been pretty difficult, you know, so I'm super proud of her. So yes. in preparing Probably to go so. away, yeah, in preparing to go away, right, for four weeks, 
it's a big question, right? So I mm. went to her and said, look, you know, dad needs to go and see his mum and what do you reckon? And, you know, how would you manage this? And she's like, yeah, okay. So if you get all, because I do all the sets. Yeah. You get all the film done. If we can get all those those screens burned, um, ready to go. And um, you can have access remotely if there's, you know, if you choke and under base is wrong or whatever, you know, I don't want to start doing step back on a 400 hoodie order or something if something's wrong if you can have access to do that then yeah just go and that was just what's the word it was freeing for me yeah you know, wow, so, something's happening here um obviously there's no sales going on there's no need for new artwork you know so that wouldn't work un under normal cir circumstances mm. but so it's going to be a bit of a test and we'll That's see awful. how it goes I mm. uh, feel for a little bit, um, but the team, you know, they're doing long hours now, uh, this week and next week. And um, so, yeah, I think you're right. Like, set a date. I'm going to mm. do this. And that's a great test. I'm not going to be here. Yep. Don't contact me unless yeah. the place is on fire. <laughs> and even if it is on fire, don't contact me ever. Um, <laughs> I think that that's that's the way to do it. And planning, mm. you know, having that ambition. We're We're out of space. We're in yep. the same dilemma as you are. Um, the the brewery over here is moving, mm -hmm. and we're like, hmm, maybe we should take one of those and keep this one. So that brings us up to where you're at now. But but yes. you know, your point earlier was, I would have got a bigger place. To be I would in. avoid it. I would avoid it to be completely honest, because of the things I didn't really counter for, which was having to set up internet in two places, having to pay for electricity in two places, yeah. having to pay for two sets of corporate body rates for all that stuff that like what I'm paying for two tiny factories, I could be paying 20 grand less for one big one. Wow. Okay. And that's a substantial figure that I didn't factor in when I needed more space. Yeah. Um, but I got cold feet and was a little bit tentative because of what was going on in the climate at the time. Mm -hmm. um, with COVID and 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 how unsure everybody was about everything, but should have backed myself. So yes, I, I would I would heed against two factories unless it's possible to make a full leap. But my advice there would be, if you've got a solid business that you know you've got plenty of repeat customers and year on year you're making that little bit of growth or a big bit of growth, I would um I would sign a longer lease and negotiate some free rent. So typically I will try and sign a four or five year lease and negotiate three months free rent. I use that three months free rent and that time period to get the new factory ready. So there's just a quick transition. You're there in a weekend and, and running on the Monday. So that's what we did here. Mm. We got three plus three and I got two months um, free mm. and moved in. Yeah. Literally over a weekend when we were ready. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, that's, it's Some kind of, scares me a little bit thinking yeah we need to go to the next click up but i don't like the idea of having two places in it i could throw a banana you know into the other one from here yeah but you're right two sets of bills for everything it, and, it, and the setup i didn't think of it and it really hit hard yeah especially during the slower times yeah it's just a lot easier moving manual presses than an auto you know that's tearing yeah. down an auto's not going to be a lot of fun i did the install on this auto with you're probably familiar with Howard from Leapfrog who I guess yeah. you were alluding to earlier with respect to Anatol. Anatol. Yeah. And uh, he and I did that over uh three days, I think it was, 
might be four actually and it was a nightmare although i now know how it all fits together so in theory should be able to do it again have you got a so you've got a fully electric press no pneumatic we have no pneumatic we've on a vault it's called nanotore vault yeah that's the ones i was looking at back in the day yeah awesome yeah yeah and it is it's great it's super quiet um it's a very stealthy machine haven't had many problems at all with it Hmm. a couple of little things um the guys know how to run it backwards i mean you know it's just phenomenal mm. um you know easy to learn there were, there were a lot of there was a lot of settling and dialing mm. in of things but that's, i i'm guessing oh. that's the same on any big press like that yeah I um, think so. it's a 10 10 color we've got we run two flashes on it sometimes mm-hmm. we'll, we'll run one if we you know need to get that extra color yeah. Um, yeah. So it's more than big enough. In fact, we're talking about getting another one, and we were having a conversation about this um, last week, and we kind of went, you know, what? I think we could get away with a six or, or seven color on it. Like, I don't know if we really need another ten to do this. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, we we like it. But yeah, I don't fancy moving it too far. <laughs> anyway, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've probably got a lot more choices than we have in terms of other places to move into um, where you're at. Sorry, I think my, my daughter's tapping on the window. She's all right. Um, uh, yeah, there is a, a huge market here, even just around the area we're in, that I can I can get into a nice factory, which I'm really looking forward to narrowing that down next year and, and knowing that there's that next leap which is always scary and a bit of a bit of um apprehension sometimes on do i really know what i'm doing but um <laughs> but yeah you just gotta you just gotta make that leap i think and make room for growth because i didn't do that at the start I had to move quite a lot mm. yeah yeah okay we probably should start to draw to a close mm. um want you to think about whether you've got any questions that i may or may not be able to answer but also how do people get in touch with you bornandthreads.com.au is that right no dot com so we always set it up as a global company originally i was very ambitious about servicing the world but we don't send stuff overseas very often we have but not that often um so no it's dot com but there's a contact page our email address is just sales at bornandthread.com uh, Instagram, we welcome people to message us on Instagram. It's our main social media platform we service. But um, we typically will guide you to send us an email with your artwork so we can put it through our quoting process. But yeah, typically phone call or email. Yeah. And um, any type of screen printing, you don't mind what kind of customer comes your way? You're, you're completely no, cool I- with that. Yeah. No, we, we service you know the painting industry from cafes, restaurants, breweries bands car companies apparel brands based on whatever they're into you know frogs or all sorts of different prints i'm not biased at all it's more just about whether we can help with what you're trying to achieve and your budget because we never tried to set ourselves up to be the cheapest i think there's a lot of problems in some industries where there's just a race to the bottom everybody's undercutting each other um we don't do a comparison. We don't try and check what anybody else is doing other than making sure that we're um, getting a good price from AS Color, checking with them that we're on the right price structure, which we are. Um, but yeah, I, I just think 
we offer a premium service and we try to accurately price that because I think we solve a lot of problems before they even happen and walk people through that whole process if they've never done it before. Like you mentioned, they have no idea of how it happens and not because they're ignorant, but because it's not common knowledge and um, you learn it yourself when you start the industry. So mm. I think making that course will be really nice to be able to feel like there's a whole database of info for a new yeah. person to feel um, informed so they can make yeah. a choice and know what's best for them. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Any tips and or traps that you want to share with people starting or any yep. cool things you've, you've designed that you think make a difference in the, in the production or yeah. at the business end at the front end, you know? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I've got a few, I can give you a couple uh, and I've got some questions for you too, but I'll, I'll get to them. Um, we've integrated credit card payment into zero rather than a standalone service. So I think I'll, I've known a few small business friends that didn't realize they could integrate Stripe into their invoices on zero and have a pay now button and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I always try to tell people about that, that are using zero for invoicing or quoting is get Stripe integration or square integration. Stripe is my preference personally. Um, so that they can get that payment happening because the amount of customers when we added that years ago, but they would just pay by a credit card straight as soon as you sent the invoice and it was paid in full. Yeah. You know, chase them. It was, it was really took the weight off and it's a great option. I think, um, second thing for artists or people starting a brand is stop using procreate. Oh, amen. Absolutely. <laughs> um, oh, what a headache. Yeah. So procreate it's fantastically accessible. It looks great on your iPad or your, your tablet. <laughs> But um, as soon as we get it, unless you've maximized the artboard size and made the resolution as big as you can and drawn to that full artboard area, it's almost unusable nearly every time. Um, so uh, it, it's hard to say it. And I've, I've had to, I had a couple of tattoo artists that actually redrew their artwork because, exactly. yeah, I gave them the specs of the resolution of the artboard and said, max it out. And then we can take it into Photoshop and get rid of the little pixelated edges as much as we can with some tricks and make it a usable file. But um, Procreate, if I could give a tip to anyone starting a brand, actually spend the time to either get a free vector program or, you know, get um, access to the Adobe suite, which everyone's upset at Adobe at the moment or Pantone for taking away their Pantones. But yeah. Um, get access to a professional tool. My preference is always vector, but it doesn't suit every style of graphic design. But mm -hmm. um, as screen printers, we love vector just because it's scalable without pixelation. It's very easy to work with, very easy to punch out all the colors. You can do a 10 color set in five minutes. It's it's mm -hmm. really good. Um, so yeah, Procreate. I would, I would advise against making your entire garment designs in Procreate because it's it, it's heartbreaking to tell someone that's put hours into a design. We can't yeah. use it. That is heavily pixelated. It looks great as a digital sticker at, you know, 80 by 100 mil. Looks great on the back of an iPhone case, but as soon as we take it to 26, 28, 35 centimeters wide, it's mm. unusable. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. We yeah. That. <laughs> Creating artwork in Canva is the other one that does my same, same vein. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing would probably be to other business owners, maybe like yourself as well, which is um, just 
to make a plan to allow yourself to work on the business rather than in it. I love working in my business and I'm probably a better worker than a, than a, a person that works on the business. I work better in the business and I love working in the business, but then it goes nowhere. The Instagram posts stop the, the things that, you know, the new clientele, the expanding to have that stock holding and drop shipping for clients with their own brands that have outgrown their bedroom. Um, it stops me doing those things. So that's where I'm trying to, yeah, learn to work on your business rather than in it. And that's part of making redundancies and processes, I think. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Mm. Um, at the risk of sounding arrogant or more arrogant, um, I have the other problem in the sense that I constantly work on businesses and don't mm -hmm. often you know, get too absorbed in doing them. So if you take this one as an example, as I said earlier, you know, knocking out a hundred t-shirts an hour, four or five plus hours a day didn't last yeah. that long with me. Right. Like <laughs> because of my age and my shoulders falling out, but um, it just took me away straight away from any of the design ideas, business design ideas and mm. development ideas. So I naturally gravitate back to that. And I love, that's where I'm, you know, the pig in the proverbial Chardonnay, if, as it were. Um, so I, I, I don't struggle with that, but that can then become another thing you need to make yourself redundant from as well, mm. you know? Yeah. So I'm constantly creating new business ideas that I can't fully integrate, you mm. know, new avenues. I'm very interested in live screen printing, for example. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. I want to work out how to, how to build something in that space. Um, but it's a massive distraction from normal business. So, you know, balancing that, but yeah, that's so important to get people working on it rather than in it. Mm. I was um, hoping to catch up with some uh, screen printers in the UK, some of whom I sort of met before and are doing interesting things online and in, in various spaces. But one of them is adamant that he will never work on his business because he loves screen printing. And, and I get it, right? I get the, mm. the artisan element that you spoke about earlier, but it's a business as well, right? Mm. And you you employ people, they're paying mortgages. Yes. They've got kids to feed and, and, and all the rest and need their holiday and so on. And there is a pressure on, on people to get that right. But if you want to stay as an individual printer, maybe with someone doing the artwork, your business is only going to get to a particular point. And that might be okay as well, right? Like there's mm. nothing wrong with that necessarily. Um, so yeah, work on it, not just in it, or if you can, don't work on it and don't work in it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that yeah. the dream? Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, no, I, I believe that strongly. You got to find a balance and, and, but I really respect the fact that my five staff, the six of us that are there, that I don't let it be lost on me that um, my business runs because of them and I like to work for them. So when I'm bringing in new stuff, well, I think like this whole drop, shoulding, uh, drop shipping and, and stockholding idea will serve my customers. Is it gonna serve the business? Is it gonna be a detriment to my staff? They're gonna be annoyed picking stock every day and getting interrupted. So there's things like that that I consider because um, I want them to be able to you know, feel like the decisions being made benefit them and don't risk their jobs or the business. 
because mm. it is more than just you. It's not a you-based business anymore. Once you start employing people, it's mm. it's making sure they get their wage, and you're not risking anything that would potentially up, upset what they're expecting. Not that they're not horrible elsewhere. They're not idiots. They're all completely fantastic. But mm. yeah, trying to pay honor the fact that they help you run your business. Mm. Yeah, it also allows you to bring in that you know you're working for them um that kind of servant master type leadership rather than the traditional kind of ceo you know it's my way or the highway type no. approach one mm. of the things i'm often saying here i find myself saying when um you know let's say someone needs to take a friday off because you know something's happened or mm. they're upset because they keep popping screens or whatever it is is like we we have one member, in fact, two members of staff are so conscientious about costs that they're always saying, "Look, can I?" We had an order in the in the winter this year, <laughs> hundreds of hoodies, mm. and what had happened is um, the guys had printed plastisol heat transfers just before, so the oven was down low, and oh. of course they they didn't put it back up. So the customer came on and said, "These are falling off. They're cracking. You know, mm. you know, you know." When I get to that, it's just a reprint, you know, end yeah, of story. Straight away. Like, yeah. There's yeah. no way we're not going to do it. Mm. So the two of the guys came in and said, we want to pay for them. And I said, no, you know, we can't do that. It's a, And they were adamant. And I said, listen, if this business doesn't support you and every yeah. stuff that you make and me and every what is the point? Yeah. You know, I'm not here to, to become a millionaire. Right? It's not about that. Right. It's about helping yeah. one another to grow and, and to become a kind of family within reason, rather yeah. <laughs> the exception yeah. of my and daughter. Yeah. Mm. But um, I think that has, you know, really helped the team feel part of it. And okay, yeah, yeah. there was a stuff up, but no one got sacked. And actually, it's no. okay. Um, but don't do it yeah. again, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Still, it's respectfully expected that you learn from that, but like, I'm not going to sack you over it. Like I'm invested in you, that you're part yeah. of this. Let's yeah. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, back to what you said about investing in people. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, it's great. The, the, the questions I have to you, if you don't mind me asking. So you've been in business six years and have had some rapid expansion to get an order and service that and fulfill it and have it running jobs all day. That's, fantastic like you know obviously you've got a great client base where you are or whoever's coming to you there they can see the value in what you guys are doing what what would you do different looking back from where you are now like from then to now what would you have done different i'm curious you've had a very quick growth by the looks of it which is awesome it has been quick last year was 116 percent growth Wow. This year looks around 60. We, we go by calendars, mm -hmm. by, by the calendar year. Um, and my main interest in that is what you were saying earlier. How much of this is repeat business? How much of it is new that looks like it's repeating? Mm -hmm. How much of it is new markets? Where are the, Where's the wastage? Like, I don't like doing bands. Um, mm -hmm. Their expectations are bonkers, frankly. Yeah, uh, right. From the from price wise, price wise, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're just you know, they, they think it's fun to kind of be hard asses, whereas you're trying to run you know, mm. a business. Um, so what would so it has been big, and we need to slow it like literally, you know. I've adjusted pricing and you know, increased um, 
um, minimums and those kind of things and being tougher on certain you know we might have looked at a a four color job at 20 we probably wouldn't now you know what i mean i'd say look come on reduce or it's going to cost more um what would i do differently though um i think it resonates with what you're saying about size you know we moved into this place we were like we're never moving out we had an auto on order you mm -hmm. know by then mm -hmm. and i think i said somewhere else recently that what i hadn't accounted for is how many pallets we take a week now and how there's no room for them right mm. <laughs> can't swing a cat mm. um so same thing i mean it's exactly what you said you know backing myself on that and my daughter i guess as well and mm. saying no this isn't going to be big enough and it helps me make that next decision i do that differently for sure mm -hmm. um i probably would have gone to auto sooner yeah um not because we couldn't do it all on, on the manual but because it just allowed us to cope with those peaks and troughs mm -hmm. you know and you get to a new peak and it might drop a little and then you get a biggie you know i just couldn't do it especially with staff coming and going mm. you know we've been through quite a few staff so i think i would have gone to an auto sooner but one thing i would have done and i tried to do this mm. it didn't really work um is i would have gone and found some proper training on screen printing um i i did go to the uk a few years ago and to be blunt i sort of used it to sort of um legitimize my my expenses a little bit but i i did book in for some training and yeah. But by then, I could do simulated process. And, you know, it was a bit late in the day and it was yeah. a little bit awkward. But I should have done, try to find something like that in the first or second year. And I, I would have benefited so much. Yeah. Particularly around, um, uh, well, around creating separations mm -hmm. and getting into AI sooner. We've been yes. learning AI now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Learning what a raster is and what a vector is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah. but also around actual printing you mm. know the physical using a squeegee properly you know mm. um learning off contact properly mm -hmm. i also wouldn't get a pre a manual press with a back clamp a rear clamp yeah i'd go yeah. for a side clamps press yeah. um i didn't know any didn't even know they existed yeah um, way better for registration and holding registration uh, yeah and managing off contact more easily yep. without having that screen kind of lay down mm. you know yeah getting yep. the, the right coverage that way and yeah um yeah and i think I, I probably would have more quickly gone for a, a better exposure unit mm. spent a lot of time trying to build those um managed fairly successfully but you know, when it came to doing half tones or, um, you know, a good quality emulsion, if I can put it that way, mm. it just wasn't up to it. And I think you know, putting money into that sooner would have been wise. <coughs> Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, you know, doing something like this. To be blunt, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have had any confidence to do this. But to be able to meet other screen printers, swap stories, learn from them, you know. Mm. 
that's gold to be blunt it's really hard to do and to find people that you can resonate with and not feel like you're a complete balloon or, or you know driving them mad through your own arrogance oh, i was I really fascinated good. when i got invited to this podcast because i was like such a good idea like i i wanted to start a little screen printers guild in melbourne you know and awesome. i didn't think it would work just because there's so much not competition but there's so much like rivalry as far as like everyone's got their own niches you know some of them are tattoo artists printers and some of them are known for doing bands and and I don't necessarily think that we cross each other's paths too much, but I think some of them hold what they do very close to them as part of their own industry um, success. And I probably gave away some of my industry advancements and secrets in this podcast, which I don't mind because I think there's more than enough work out there for everyone. Just do what you do. But I would love to bring a group of printers together to be able to actually hang out in person and talk like this candidly and just share, you know, the nuances of screen printing and clients and all that kind of stuff but it's why i was really interested to hop on the podcast so i thought it was really interesting to finally talk to someone that's a screen printer it's a very lonely business ownership work. yeah <laughs> it is yeah. yeah and i feel like i'm making friends everywhere you know and yes yeah. it's been really i mean i haven't done many of these yet but i've got several lined up and you awesome. know, hopefully we can can expand it and i'd like mm. to kind of get everyone on the podcast to meet up at some point you know that would be Absolutely. really cool well, well, on that, um, our ten-year anniversary, we do a we do a T-shirt every year now. We started doing that a couple of years ago um, with a new artist every year, um, whether they're an artist we work with or one that we just like, and we want to reach out to them, say, "Can you help us make our design and give them a bit of a brief and let them go nuts?" Yeah. Um, our ten-year anniversary tea, you know, I don't know if it was you or someone else that reached out um, on our Instagram, but yeah, I, I I'm going to send you one. We put one aside for you. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, we have someone it's... else that does that uh, yeah it's another member of my family but all right yeah, okay great yeah so we're like triple xl mate for me yeah 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 no they told me i've got to decide we print, right. yeah we yeah. printed a couple in that size up and we've got another friend of mine that's been a big supporter of the business for a good six or seven years that he came and picked these up yesterday at the party i got one there for you and at five o'clock today actually in about 40 minutes we're giving away 10 of them on instagram to some people that have applied to our little competition that we did on there every year nice, nice. but um yeah I, I just i think it's great what you're doing and i'm really i really enjoyed the chat to be honest it's nice to talk to someone that's going through similar problems and having you know this awesome growth that they're managing as well like and working with your family that's incredible like i i would i would love to work with my brother but he's he's on a whole different level and in doing his own thing and i think it'd be interesting to have your family involved it, it would probably present its own challenges but yeah it'd be, it does. It'd be great yeah yeah and i think this is my 11th business 11th company wow <laughs> um doing but involved in totally different markets worldwide before mm. and reasonable success in a couple of them some of them were just pretty bad ideas really um <laughs> but this is the first one where i've ever engaged in any members of my family my wife's a doctor she doesn't want to have anything to do with any of our businesses yeah and yeah. then you know fair enough it can be super stressful mm. but it's actually been an amazing blessing working with my younger daughter mm -hmm. she's well i've got four daughters and she's the, the third one okay um with this business we you know when it looked like it was going to be a business i went to the family and said look this is going to be a business and 
you know, your sister is, wants to be part of this. How do you feel about that? And they were like, whatever, just, just get away from us. You know, that's fine. Thanks for asking, but no, not interested. Um, but what I found, and this is sort of a bit mushy in a way, um, is my daughter is an amazing support to me. Um, apart from anything else, kind of emotionally, you know, when I get super stressed about something, she's yeah. like, you know what? It's, it's just a T-shirt, Dad. Like, you know, relax. And that's been good. There are occasional moments when uh things don't go quite as you know friendly as they should because family yeah. is is hard yep. right? yeah yeah um, but your kids you've got two kids i'm guessing one is around three and the other's younger presumably yeah we've got two girls so um i've actually got to road test that whole not being available thing a couple of times so three years ago i was not available for two weeks but i was i was on the emails during the day if they needed me and available for a phone call but um with my second child, who's six months old now, she was born in June, um, I was not available for five days. And it was so freeing to just be able to be in the moment, not even thinking about it. I, I did have to make one phone call to a problem client that my staff member was like, I don't know how to handle this person. But um, it was incredible to have road test that and drove me even further to mm. make myself redundant so I can be more family orientated. But since we had kids, I stopped working as much. I put on more staff than I probably needed to, to allow myself to just do a 40, 45 hour week. Maybe if I'm being honest with myself, 55, an extra 10 hours overtime at home after hours, but um, in this little office, but um, but yeah, I, I, I have two beautiful girls and um, yeah, maybe one day one of them will want to get into yeah. business with me, which yeah, is inspiring to see, yeah. that will be super. Maybe they'll want nothing to do with it because they've grown up with it and be like, this is, you know, I have no interest in that dad, but you never know. Mm. You never know, and it, that might be the final step in you becoming redundant. Maybe, maybe literally <laughs> redundant. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally. Maybe, maybe father to daughter. Who knows? Yeah, and, no. mate, it's really great to meet you. Really great. Yeah, really appreciated your Thanks. honesty and your time and putting yeah. in the the effort to this. It's it's really good. And look, I'd no. really love to check in again after, perhaps after June next year. You know. Yeah. When things are happen and the dust has settled and yeah know, see how it's going and yep, work yep. out uh, but let's stay in touch in the meantime but thank you so much for, for coming on i really appreciate it oh thanks for having me on and being so easy to talk to and having obviously questions ready that you structured to talk about because um i can waffle so that was good you kept me on point but um <laughs> yeah no thank you it's such a good thing that you're doing even just for this industry to be able to talk because we don't i don't think because we think our knowledge is what makes us money but i think what makes us money is how we service our customers which isn't something you need to hold to your chest you know that's right that's i think right. it's brilliant no well done and I, and I look forward to catching up with you again if you're ever in melbourne please yeah know. yeah occasionally i am for sure. Yeah. for sure yeah yeah but i'll send you that shirt thanks again thank you so much thanks dan i appreciate it all yeah. right take care all right. see you later, see you later. Bye. Bye.